Drawn Podcast Network. Do a bit. No. Sorry. All that prep work. The podcast of the opera is here. <laughs> that's that's the tune. Yeah. It's been a long time, but yeah. I think that's that's pretty close. Yeah. Well, I also, we were talking about this. I didn't see any other versions, really, except for maybe one a long time ago. Uh, this is going to be a weird episode, because uh, Allison's been all day reading, <laughs> so she's full of uh, indoor kid energy, and I just got off work, where I was uh, horribly disfigured in a tragic t-shirt box accident, uh, and I have a... A mask that covers two thirds of my face, made out of an old gabagool water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's not true. I don't know if I need to state that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess we shouldn't bury the lead. We're talking about a Phantom of the Opera today. It's the weirdest one, I would argue. Arguable. Oh <laughs> is, no, there is, is there a, weirder a weird one? one. Yeah. Oh. But the the weirder one is from 1998. It's directed by. Dario Argento. Oh, That's yes. It. Okay, actually, um, that makes sense. That would be weird. Yes. Um, it's also called Phantom of the Opera. It stars Julian Sands as the Phantom. Okay. Uh, you, We know him from Boxing Helena. I was going to say, the name sounded familiar. He's a bunch of stuff. He's also in Warlock, which I don't think you've seen yet, but I grew up watching Warlock a lot on mm-hmm. TV. Okay. I did very much enjoy Boxing Helena. He fits in the club with, like, Jude Law... Yeah. And um, Rufus Sewell. Yeah. Pretty boy, but has chops. Pretty big eyes. Mm-hmm. S- same tenor voice. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Rufus Sewell is like the the, dirt, the dark one. He's the Raphael of the group. <laughs> okay. He's the edgy one. Sure. I guess Jude Law is the Leonardo, and Julian Sands is the Donatello. Mm-hmm. Who's the Michelangelo? It's probably one of them Scars guards. Yeah. Big eyes. Yeah, but still Not a party British, dude. <laughs> but yeah, still a party dude. If uh, listeners, if you have a better idea who the Michelangelo of this particularly weird subset of human beings I'm describing also, is. Also, if you didn't catch, he's going with Ninja Turtles and not actually classical artists. Yeah, it was Ninja Turtles is the <laughs> archetypes I was working with. But anyway, um, so it starts Julian uh, Julian Sands of the Phantom. I'm still talking about the weirder Dario Argento one. Yes. Because the plot... I'll read the, the, the blurb that's on IMDb, which is... Okay. Gory remake mm-hmm. of the Gaston LaRue classic story. Only this time, the Phantom is not disfigured, but a man who was raised by rats deep under the Paris Opera House. Oh. So Julian Sands gets to be pretty, but also his rats are his family. And I was like, that's great. Speaking of Ninja Turtles, it's the Rat King. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a guy that lives in the sewer. And or, um... The Rat King. Fucking, uh... Willard, which I haven't seen but would like to because it sounds weird. So there's two. Uh huh. There's the original, for which Michael Jackson famously wrote a single called Ben, oh. which is the name of the mouse. Yes. Or rat. Yeah. And then there's the remake with Michael J. Fox's dad from Back to the Future, mm. Crispin Glover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the, the lead in that. Um, okay. But uh, the song's pretty good. Bing. The two of us need look no more. It's like a love song to a rat. We both found what we were searching for. It's great. It's pretty good, dude. <laughs> All right. 
I when I found out that song was written about a rat, I was just like, I was like, oh, it's weird that this is like obvious gay love song exists and is made by like the king of pop. And then I was like, somebody was like, oh, it's it's actually written about a rat. Or is he Willard? And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and the sequel, I think, is just called. If you're, if you're too called greased ben. to be an otter, you're a rat. You're into urban exploration. Oh, uh, okay. one of those urbex folks. Yeah. Hey, let's go into the abandoned uh, insane asylum over the weekend. And, and fuck. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves. They're just looking for interesting places to fuck. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: anywhere is an interesting place to fuck if you fuck the right person. That's how you keep it spicy, folks. Mm-hmm. We're off on a interesting tangent already. It's good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're doing one of the phantoms yes. of the operas. But yeah, my my bad. Not the weirdest option. No, and I haven't seen that one, but we do own it. I bought it because it was oh. recently released on Blu-ray, and I was like, ooh, never even heard of this. Like, yeah, uh, probably worth seeing. I, I I have a thing. I like the Phantom of the Opera story. I like the musical. I saw the musical a bunch. Like, not. I never went and saw it on on performed on stage. Mm-hmm. But PBS used to show musicals, mm-hmm. and probably still do like show the stage performance and you know there's a lot of pbs on at my 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 grandmother's house growing up i saw a bunch of yeah i andrew lloyd weber phantom i i don't know exactly what version i saw but yeah i I imagine it was like that version yeah there was one in in, in 2014 yeah no it wouldn't have been that it would have been something that was directed by uh we were talking about this yeah schumacher joel Joel Schumacher. schumacher yes yeah yeah um, yeah, so he directed one of them, but I, I've never actually seen that uh, version. I have seen the 25, 26 with Lon Chaney as the Phantom, the famous yeah. one um, with that famous look, you mm-hmm. know. I've seen that, and I probably saw at least part of the 45 or whatever, mm-hmm. um, also Universal one, which is more famous for the mask and, yeah. and the tuxedo mask kind of like appearance of the Phantom. Yes. Like with the hat and the Yeah, yeah and the cape, of. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen probably I probably have seen that, but I I couldn't tell you for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just have like, I have a thing for the Phantom of the Opera. I, I read it in grade school, junior yeah. high. It was mm-hmm. one of the books in the school library. We along we were talking about this off air, along with either Robinson Crusoe or the Swiss Family Robinson. I don't remember. Yeah, and it doesn't to, help. I that had both, to inform Hunter both, that those were both books. <laughs> guys, both. I don't know if you know this. Both their titles have Robinson in it, and they're both about people being stranded on desert islands. And I'm supposed to keep that fucking straight over uh, 30 years of unadulterated street drugs and hard drinking? Come on. Come on. (laughs) I guess I'm the idiot. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was out living a life. (laughs) It also is the fact that, like, the fan of the opera is so, not just parodied, but, like, it's, it's just referenced so often. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, was alluding to the Ninja Turtles. There's 100% an old, uh, the animated Ninja Turtles cartoon from, like, the 80s and 90s. There's an episode where they just find a guy's lair yeah. in the sewer, and it's le- legally not the fan of the opera. I think he's, like, a former cameraman from the, the news channel, and he's in love with April O'Neil. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like, they, you know, it was yeah. it's, it's an idea that's just out there, and everybody does it. And so I read the novel today. Mad Science. <laughs> And as I was reading it, this didn't really come through in the movie so much, but I was like, oh, it's Persephone and Hades. This is like a story that's been told and retold and retold in different... Persephone and Hades is Greek, right? Yes. Because Hades is Greek, Pluto is Roman, Um, Yeah, it would be Ceres and Pluto in the Roman. Yeah, when you copy off of stuff, man, like, I can't keep all that straight fucking swiss family <laughs> robinson crusoe yeah right one of those is the greek story one's the Roman. yeah sure oh boy um see that's literary jokes yeah it's a smart sure. dumb joke it's a smart um, joke about how i'm dumb
Jocelyn Hughes. Welcome to another thrilling, chilling, blood-spilling episode uh-huh. yeah. of Hate Watch, Great Watch. I'm your co-host, Hunter Bush, the Phantom of the Podcast. I'm your ingenue, Allison Yukulis, and this week we are discussing The Phantom of the Opera from 1989, directed by Dwight Little and starring uh, Robert Englund yeah, as the Phantom, who most people know more readily as Freddy Krueger. That's right. Uh, and also Jill Sholin. Yes. She's from um, the Stepfather. Well, okay, here's what we know her from. Because I was like, I know I, I know she's in the Stepfather, and I know we just watched that kind of recently. Yeah. So I was like, but but, but what else has she been in? Well, she also has a look that reminded me of a lot of other actresses. She's, yeah, she's a good yeah. look for the, especially for the era. Yes. So she's from the Stepfather, which mm-hmm. we have seen. Yes. She's from Popcorn, Cutting Class, which I saw, mm-hmm. uh, The Family of the Opera, 1999, and... Babes in Toyland with Keanu Reeves. Oh, nice. Yeah. This is what I did is I went to my letterbox and every time I watch a movie, I tag all the actors and actresses' names, you know, so I can cross-reference and right. be like, what do I know them from? Yeah. So, um, she, and I said this when we were watching Stepfather, looks very much to me like Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. Jennifer Connelly thing, sure. Yeah. Um, and I definitely did that again this time around, <laughs> which also... Thematically, there is kind of a similar dynamic here, this version of the Phantom of the Opera and in the Labyrinth with, like, manipulation and... Yeah, Dave Bowie's way hotter, though. Yes, well... (laughs) David, I was thinking for this picture you'd be disfigured. Not on your life. How dare you? (laughs) I don't want to be vain, but have you seen me? (laughs) So I just, on a whim, I was like, well, what what have I watched and logged on Letterboxd Mm -hmm. that Robert Englund's been in? Yeah. Because I actually haven't watched any of the Nightmare on Elm Street since no. starting my letterbox. We, Didn't a few years ago, about five, six, seven something years ago... Watched all of them. Watched all of them because um, uh, frequent guest of the show, Brian Bierman. Hello, Brian. Hi, Brian. Uh, and I were, were a little like, hey, we should walk more because um, we're doughy. <laughs> and we should get more exercise so we're not bums. And uh, so we used to just walk to the like uh, Target near my mom's house when I was living at my mom's. And they unveiled that they had... Two, four-disc sets. It was the first four Nightmare on Elm Streets and the last four. And I was like, oh, I don't own any of these. I should get these. And Bieran's like, well, if you buy one, I'll buy one. And we'll watch them all. So we did. And it was a fun it was a fun time. We watched yeah. them all in about two and a half weeks. Like, yeah. It was pretty fast. Yeah. About yeah. 20 days. Yeah. Um, which was good because it really let you compare, like... Right. The, not just the filmmaking, but, like, the story. Like, yes. being like, wait, does this actually make sense? Because maybe I would think it made sense if it was three years in between me watching it or right. even a year. But it's like, we watched it four days ago, and now I don't know if it makes sense anymore. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And that was also the first time I'd seen a lot of those middle sequels. But here are the four things I've logged on Letterboxd. Um, so, Phantom of the Opera. Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive. The Gator. Yeah. Gator movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's in Dead and Buried, which they, I believe they showed on uh, Last Drive-In. It's like a weird kind of seaside zombie movie. Yes. I don't... Who is he in that? I don't remember. It's been a minute. Okay. Uh, he Cause... might have been one of the coroners. Okay. Because yeah, I might have maybe like clocked it when it happened, but then yeah. immediately forgotten about it. And he's in Behind the Mask. Oh! The, the Legend of Leslie yeah. Vernon or yeah. whatever. Yeah. He's yeah. He's in that briefly. Oh. So those are the four things. I was like, oh, huh. what a weird, not Freddy filmography that's on my letterbox. The Family Opera, 1989. Okay. So this is uh, kind of my favorite, though, of the various adaptations because 
This came out in 1989. Yes. This came out the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Yes. Whichever, that's Dream Child, I think, or... But, yeah. So my, my thing with this movie is, as soon as it was over the first time I watched it, which wasn't that long ago, I was just like, why didn't this spawn a million sequels? This should have, rightfully, been right up there next to, yes, Hellraiser, Freddy, Jason, Mike Myers, sorry, Michael Myers, that's a callback, <laughs> Leatherface, like, Chucky, like, all those. It well, I guess, spiritually, Robert Englund can't have two big franchises. Dude, if he did, he would have been the absolute, as though he's not the king, as though we don't all love him, yeah. right? But, like, it, he would have been, like, undisputed champion. Yeah. Because that's the thing, most of those characters have been played by various people. Yeah. Chucky's a bit of an exception, but it's mostly a vocal performance, right? Sure, you yeah. Know? So you got Brad Dourif doing the Chucky voice. Right. And, but, like, Leatherface was played by different guys. Jason was played by different guys. Michael Myers played by different guys. Like, the only one that was routinely played by the same... Oh, and Leprechaun. Oh, Leprechaun yeah. Freddy. and Freddy. Those are yeah. the only two that are, like, routinely played by the same actor. War and that the Warwick actor... Davis for Leprechaun. I believe it is Warwick. War Warwick. And I believe it's Robert England. I think I went Dion Warwick with it. No, no, no. It's, it's spelled Warwick. <laughs> but again, like, English. I get it. Yeah. They're a little fast and loose with certain pronunciations. They've had the language a lot longer than the uh, Americans have, so um, they're like, well, gotta know the rules. Gotta know the rules to break the rules, Gov. Okay. <laughs> gotta know the rules to break the rules, Gov. Oh, boy. Hey, what are they doing? Oh, the Beatles showed up to talk about the rules. But it's not the real Beatles. It's the ones from Yellow Submarine where they sound Scottish. Can you guys tell I'm drinking on an empty stomach? Real listeners know. <laughs> They're like, Hunter didn't have lunch today. Do you need more? I would love want, another drink. Do you yeah. want to wait? No, I would love another drink. Let's okay. fucking go. LFG. Oh my god. What? That's what Dax Harwood tweets LFG all the time. And he's cool. I want to be cool like Dax Harwood. <laughs> I want to have a mustache like Dax Harwood. Okay. Okay. Focus? I am focused. I figure this is kind of a timeout because you're making a drink. Okay. We're not going to have like an in-depth conversation. You're distracted. So, Dax Harwood. He's half of FTR. It's a wrestling duo, tag team. They are seven-star FTR. They're the best. They wrestle for AEW. Other guy, Cash Wheeler. Honestly, I don't mean to speak out of turn, but my personal fave. Here's why. Because everybody always talks about how good Dax is, and that's not wrong. Not enough people talk about how good Cash is, which is wrong. It's wrong to not talk about it. It's not wrong that he is good, because he is actually quite good. He sells great. All his moves look great. He's a great partner. He works well with Dax. I love watching them. It's great. They're part of uh, the Pinnacle right now. They're working with Wardlow. Or maybe they're not called the Pinnacle. It's hard to tell, because they also tweeted that they were FT War, which is, yeah, great. I love it. Uh, it's Wardlow's world, although they should call it the Ward Globe. I don't know why they're not doing that. I got a million ideas. AEW, Tony Khan, get at me. I'm available. He can be this drunk for you. I can be. I can drink on an empty stomach to write wrestling angles. Keep them brief. Make them Kurt angles. <laughs> <laughs> Got that's you. That's such a good. That's such a good wrestling joke. <laughs> Fuck. So drinks are made. Um. So yeah, I watched this not that long ago, within the past like three years, for the first time, just on a whim because I never heard of it. And Robert England in a horror movie. It's an adaptation of you know Family Opera. Like. Why haven't I heard of this, right? It looks good. The story is cool. I mean, it's the family opera story, but it's got like a time traveling thing. We'll get into it. But like the performances are good and uh, the kills are interesting. Like it's, 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 it fits right in there with all those franchise horror films. Yeah. My, my thing is that 
all these franchise horror guys that started in the technically 70s, 79 was, or 78 or 79 was mm -hmm. the original Halloween. Yeah, yeah. But like the 80s, right? Yeah. The horror guys that coasted through the 80s. So that's your, your, your Michael Myers, your Jason, your Freddy. They got to the 90s, and all of a sudden, nobody knew what to do with them. I don't think that's a fault of anybody. It's like this, the change in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. right? Um, the era got so extreme. It's just that everything changed. Like, our, our cultural touchstones were different. Like, sure. it had been a decade. Yeah. The horror movies of, those, of that era had to reflect cultural interests. It has to be relevant, but it has to also feel like what it was. But what it was had existed for, you know, a decade, roughly. So, like... That's a stretch. It's, right. It's hard to remain culturally relevant while also feeling like the thing that it originally was. Again, Which like, I think is why you got the meta right. push in, in, the 90s, in the 90s into the 2000s. This is my point. In the 90s, they were like, we got a swing. Which I love, you guys, as far back as at least episode 5 when we talk about the Apple, I love a big swing. I really do. Also, Menachem Gold. I, I, we're not even there yet. <laughs> but like, I love a big swing. Just take a chance. If it doesn't work, Hunter will still like it, probably. That's almost definitely true. Yeah. And, like, so the 90s, what happened to what happened to these guys in the 90s, right? Um, Leprechaun, who was much later in the 80s, maybe 89, like, it doesn't matter. Point is, like, Leprechaun had to get crazy real fast. Yeah. So Leprechaun, in the third one, goes to Vegas, and the fourth one goes to space, and the fifth one goes to the hood. Like, it was already on, like, we gotta Ernest goes to camp this shit. Yeah. You gotta, like, just change the setting and put a leprechaun in there and see how much, like... Like, Biodome. Like, just because we're in a bubble doesn't mean we can't cause any trouble. Like, that's kind of what they were doing with the leprechaun. Mm -hmm. The fourth Hellraiser goes to space, and then also as far back in the timeline as the Hellraiser films ever get, which is, like, the Renaissance. Yeah. But, like, it does both in the same movie. That's a big swing. Like, yeah. those are great. Those are great and crazy. What happens to Jason in the 90s? He goes from hanging out at a lake in New Jersey for a whole decade to Take New York, yep. then, hell, then hell, then space, then space in the future. It's crazy. Michael Myers, the only... Like, they, they relaunched it with Halloween 4, which is relevant. We'll come back to that. Um, oh, is this where you get the Call of the Thorn? Yes. Yeah. And then it builds... So it's three movies. It's 4, 5, and 6. It's the... Mm -hmm. uh, it's the return, the... Shit, I had this. It's the return of Michael Myers, the something of Michael Myers, and the curse of Michael Myers, I think, is the three of them. Mm -hmm. But the last one, the sixth one, is the one that's like, oh, we can explain Michael Myers. He's an ancient, Celtic, cursed individual because of magic, and that also surreptitiously ties in Halloween 3 mm -hmm. with the... Uh, I can't. We can't even talk about Halloween three. Just look it up. Google it. I don't know what to tell you. We'll do an episode on it one day. It'll be great. You'll love it. Stay tuned. So, but that's wild. Like to be like, oh, Michael Myers started off as like, oh, he was a real fucked up kid. Killed a babysitter. Came back like twenty years later to kill his sister and some other people. That's dark. And like, we don't know why. He's very strong. He can resist damage he got stabbed in both eyes he got blown up by an exploding ambulance none of this seemed to hurt him that bad yeah we don't really know why and we just keep not knowing why until turns out he's an ancient, an ancient celtic curse thing and you're just like wow the 90s are wild okay yeah and like all that that like it, that's what happened to everybody yeah you Going know freddie really went, wide with it when freddie yeah. really hit the 90s it was um west craven's new nightmare 
Yeah. It was Wes Craven getting meta a few years before he did Scream, which is mm-hmm. the thing that defined what 90s horror is. Yes. Like, un- un- inarguably. But, like, it's a movie where they're making a movie, the script for the movie describes the events that are happening in their real lives. Mm-hmm. Heather Langenkamp is in it. She's also, like, still talking to um, John Saxon. Yes. The great yes. John Saxon. Yes. Yes. Um, John Saxon's in it, but, like... He calls her, he, she refers to him as John Saxon. He refers to her as Heather. Like, it's not their character names, but he interacts with her as though he is her father. Yeah. Like, it's blending reality and the fantasy world of the films. Sure. And it also goes like, hey, everything you know about Freddy's not real. What really happened is, and this is some 90s ass shit. This is some, like, you know, Grant Morrison, the Invisibles shit. Mm-hmm. Wes Craven being like, I trapped a demon by giving him the form of Freddy. That's wild. That's some yes. really 90s shit. Yeah. And it's great. And people don't like that movie. And it's got good and bad points. But, like, it's a big swing. Yeah, and that, boy, that I that love it. concept is yeah. really, yeah. And it's got some good kills. Like, if, if that's what you want from a horror movie, it's a good one. My only problem with it, it's a little too Hollywoody. So, Phantom of the Opera that we're talking about. 89. Didn't do well commercially. And then also was critically panned, I think, a lot was people remarking that it wasn't bloody or inventive enough. There was a more gory version that they had to cut back on to not get an X rating. Also, It's a you're damned if you yeah. do, you're damned if you don't. Right. So yes, this was released as an armed film, but apparently was originally yeah. conceived of as a different feeling. This is what happens when you're yes. both trying to make an artistic work, but also make it commercially viable and blah, 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 And this, blah, blah. this also dropped in 89, right yeah. on the cusp of the 90s, right. which was a real pearl-clutching era for sure. entertainment as a yeah. whole. Yeah, like and we was were, before the whole, like, torture porn. It was before torture porn, but stuff. this is the era of, like, the um, PMRC. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, that was specifically music, but, like, yeah. the same sort of scrutiny yes. fell on on movies yeah and especially horror because it was yeah, seen as lesser right and because it's yeah it's it's gore and boobs it's yeah it's seen as like yes indulgent and scandalous and whatever so like horror movies were rated a lot harsher and right. more strictly than, than a drama unquote, would be right and i'm not even gonna say it's bad because it it's the the thing that i love of like when you have limitations you gotta try harder yes right? so then you get uh people like guillermo del toro yeah who are like this is a movie you can't argue is a drama, but this lady is fucking this fish man. Like, or or like Pan's Labyrinth, right. which is right. like, Pan's Labyrinth has some of the most impactful, like, gore in it. Yes. But it's not about that, so you don't even really think about it until you really think about it. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. that does have that guy sewing his face up. Like, yeah. Like, that shit's like, way worse than like, Reservoir Dogs, right? Yeah. Like... Reservoir Dogs, by comparison, very oh, pull, tame. Pulls its punches, yeah. Right, but like it's all in your head. Right, but it was talked about when yeah. I was a kid as yeah. like, holy shit, dude! Well, they I cut mean, a guy's ear off with a shaving razor. I mean, that's also like seven. Yes, they show seven, very yeah. little. It's very glancing. It's all suggestion yes. because that's how you get around that. That funny being said, aside, my my cousin, he's a uh, he was a paramedic and uh whatever mm-hmm. but he's worked in the medical field his whole life and um, oh, and he's talked about that that's the he m- left the movie theater he took my up. aunt to go see because they used to just like go yeah. out and go to movies together yeah and he took my aunt to go see seven and he just bolted not bolted but like 
pieced out of the theater to hang out in the lobby because he was like, they weren't showing anything, but I know, I what, that know looks like. what that could look like. Uh-huh. And it was fucking me up and I had to leave. Yeah. And so he just waited for her to get done. And she was like, I thought you went to the bathroom. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. He's the babysit me. I have no sympathy for the man. <laughs> okay. I, I did also just want to put a button on that. Mm. Uh, there's a difference between going into making a work with that kind of constraint in mind versus re-editing a completed picture yes. to oh, meet it, certain it, criteria. It took people, you know, half a decade to figure out, like, oh, we got to film a bunch of shit we know we're going to cut. Oh, yeah. So well, that the they'll, South they'll th- Park of it all. Right. So they, <laughs> they'll think they won and we'll know we did. Yeah. It took yeah. people a long time to figure that out, <laughs> which is like, yeah, because it's a, it's, it's, it's a fucking, you know, battlefield where yeah. the goalposts are constantly moving. Yeah. Like, you're, you're playing a game. And so yeah. to beat yes. the game, you, you have to understand and then subvert the rules. That's how Team America has a very disgusting puppet sex scene. It's not disgusting. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's not disgusting. Okay. I also actually haven't seen Team America since to, I saw it in theaters. I don't want to get all Lenny Bruce, but yeah. like this is a Lenny Bruce quote okay. is like the only the only thing that a body can do to another body that I would find obscene is kill it. Yeah. I don't get on my soapbox, but Lenny Bruce might have had a couple good ideas. Yeah. We haven't even actual... talked about this movie. I know. So you want to talk about the movie? I do. Okay. Um so I've sort of been uh, skirting around this. I watched it and I don't understand why it didn't catch on and you know. People might have been flagging in their interest oh, yeah. for horror movie franchise things. Yeah. Or they might have been, like, annoyed with Robert Englund. Like, yeah. he, he had been in a movie a year for, like, four years. Yeah. Because they were pumping out yeah, the those nightmares. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe it was just fatigue. Like, mm-hmm. that happens. Some of the promotional stuff that I saw was very much Freddy Krueger in a new thing. And the it's like, main poster says, yeah. like... It's the top of the poster. Yeah. Robert Englund, giant, the whole width of the poster. And it says, was Freddy, now he's, and then the title, the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Like, that's what they're trading on. Which right. is a wild ad campaign for something. Like, Yeah. Would have maybe been stronger if they let it be its own thing instead of trying to trade on, ori- like, uh, additional I just think they didn't know accolades. what to do with it. Yeah. Um, but this is a cursed property right from the get-go, you can tell, because the title card is Over the Twin Towers. Is it? It is. I did not clock that. So even, so it would be really weird if this was the, like, the the first one. If this was the Nightmare on Elm Street 1. The horror franchises are always weird, right? Because it's, everybody goes, yes, Michael Myers. Yes, Jason. Yes, Freddy. Mount Rushmore has four people. The Ninja Turtles, four. The Beatles, four, right? We like fours. Trios yeah. are good. Yeah. Who is the fourth one? People will say Leatherface, but like, kind of? Cultural imprint, maybe. But that's a maybe. It's not a strong yes. Yeah. Leprechaun has more films. Yeah. Hellraiser has more films. I mean, post, what, 99 or 2000, it would probably be the... the, uh, what Ghostface? Ghostface, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like that's a whole new era. It is, right? And that's yeah. the thing is, like, it crosses it crosses the border. Like, it's uh-huh. it's less supernatural. You know, there's there's an right. inherent supernaturality to these other three, which is interesting because comparing this to the book, the book is a lot more sleight of hand, whereas this is more supernatural. Oh, this, yeah, yeah. I because this all is the, playing in the, the realm of eighty slashers. Yes, yeah, oh. yeah. So it's an adaptation that fits. This sort of fits you know, the era feel. in which it was created, right? Yeah. yeah, it's not amazing. It's not blowing your socks off. It's not reinventing anything, but I think it's incredibly solid. 
weirdly overlooked. Nobody ever talks about it. Never comes up. Don't get it. There were there were seven sequels to this film. Nobody ever talks about them. Nobody references them. It's the odd, you know, it's the odd man out. It's the uh, what, the ugly stepchild, like whatever, <laughs> like of horror franchises. Yeah. Uh, but we're not talking about the whole franchise. We don't have time. I did write an article. Yeah. Which, when this drops, should be available in the fall 2022 issue of the Movie John physical copy zine, which you can get either through the Movie John shop or by becoming a Patreon at the right tier, which I believe is only like five bucks. Like, I think it's very, or it might even be three bucks. I think three bucks is the digital and five bucks is the physical copy. Oh, okay. Um, cool. If I'm not mistaken, it might be five and eight. It's either way, it's under 10 bucks and you can get this zine, which has a bunch of articles and then my article, which is the best we all know. <laughs> I, we don't even have to debate. I don't want to embarrass anybody by talking about how I'm much, so much better than them, but it's true. So, uh. we're only talking about the first one because we only have time for that and we've spent enough time talking about other stuff that's not that. So here we go. Family Opera, 1989. Hello, yes. excellent humans. It's finally time to talk about the movie. Yes. It opens with a quote from St. My brain wants to say St. Vitus, which is like a punk band. St. Vitus, which is a punk band. Uh, Vitius. Vitius. There was another I in there. Or maybe it's Vitius. I don't know. Vicious. Yeah. St. Vicious. It was St. Seed Vicious. On the day of his execution, March 7th, 1544. I probably should have like looked into what the fuck we're talking about with that. Because oh, yeah. that was... Oh, it's entirely made up. <laughs> Wait, really? I believe so. Yeah, it, it it opens with a quote from the fictional Saint Jean, and I guess it doesn't matter how we say his no, name. No, it doesn't matter. Not, not a real, real guy. Uh, Vidius. Saint Gino Vitaius. Ruin. Pray for them who giveth. Oh shit! I can't read my writing. <laughs> banger! This is who a banger of an episode. <laughs> Pray for them who giveth their immortal soul unto Satan, for each is damned. Hell yeah! Damned. Damned. Yeah, to relive that. Damned. Rich- Damned to relive, to relive that wretched life thing. through all time. There is Give, no mortal. God damn it! Give me this thing. You can't read it. It's the very first thing on the page. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, right. This is like Cyrillic. <laughs> Pray for them who aviary thanks immortal soul <laughs> unto not... Satan for each is Danzig to relive that. Wednesday life through all time. That's not, it's not funny. <laughs> it is funny. You can't write good. Write more better. Yeah. To relive that wretched life through all times. <laughs> yeah. It also opens with another cursed image, Tower Records. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's a time capsule. I was like, oh, I remember Tower Records. Yeah, all me right, too. Me. So we meet Christine, which is Jill Sholin, or, who... Goes to uh, the local library. She meets Meg. Welcome back to the show, Molly Shannon. Yeah. From previous episode, uh, Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby. Sure. Episode and, four. Uh, it's her first... Acting gig? Yeah. yeah. Like cinematic appearance. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's a tiny little part. She works in the library, and uh, so, you know, Christine is a, is a singer. She's an opera singer, aspiring. Also referencing the Twin Towers. So we are in New York, and time is now-ish. It's I mean, 1989. It's the, it's the 80s, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. So there's a time travel element, and the date I got was 1885. So I don't know if it's supposed to be 100 years, or if it's supposed to be 89-ish to 85. 100 years seems nice and, 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 and cute, and I don't get why they didn't, but yeah. whatever. Doesn't I, matter. I also saw something else say 81. 
Okay. I don't know where... 1881? Yes. Okay. I don't know where they got that. You're right. That's the thing. Yeah. Is I don't know where they got either one of them. Yeah. One was in the Wikipedia. I don't know where you got whatever you got. But no. it doesn't matter. Point is, so it's contemporary for the time of the filming New York. Meg has pulled these, like, rare... Like, she's like, oh, I found this thing. It was, like, sandwiched in between a couple of books. Never heard of it. Never heard of the composer. His name is Eric Destler. The piece is called Don Juan Triumphant. Yeah. From here on out, we will refer to it as DJT. <laughs> will uh, we? I will. Okay. Christine looks at it. She's like, oh, I love this. She says, it's so gentle. It's like a lullaby. She, like, sings a little bit yeah. of it, which I'm not going to try. Which, I mean, Meg's like, yeah, so I think he was connected to a bunch of murders. <laughs> well, that's what, well, no, it's Christine goes, I know oh. that name. Why do I know that name? And oh. that's what Meg is like, I think, like, something weird. And she, like, uh, Christine finds it in a book or finds it oh. or something. And she goes, oh, Dessler, you know, died. He was believed to have been a crazy murderer. He was obsessed with an opera singer, you know. It's this whole thing. It basically he uh, the, this this bio that she reads in 1989 ish lays out the whole plot of the film to come, mm-hmm. which is fun. But yeah, uh, I I just want to note Christine saying that name is so familiar. Why do I know that? Because it's like it's not important, but like it's fun later. Yeah. Because um, there's an echo of that later. Christine finds more sheet music while Meg goes to like get her coat or whatever, like way 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 up on like some stack. Yeah. It's real dusty, and it's, you know, like, the full thing, and she, like, un- it's tied with ribbon. It's very, you know, fancy pants. And when she opens it and looks at it, the music sheet music starts to bleed, which yeah. is, like, such a great fun effect so early. You're just like, fuck yeah. yeah. I, as soon as I saw that, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is going to be dope. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's such a good, fun, interesting effect. Yes. And it looks great. Yeah. Oh, they like, did a really good job. They yeah. did. They, it's really good. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next day, Christine auditions at Juilliard. Well, the I mean, the other thing is oh, that yes. like she thinks it's uh, just all in her head because you well, know, Meg's yeah. like, oh yeah, are you ready to go? And the sheet music her bleeds. Her hands that and... were covered in blood are now clean. Right. Yeah. Meg's like, you ready? And she's like, oh, yeah. uh, 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 there's nothing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the next day, she auditions. Yes. At Juilliard, she's trying to get the you know yeah. a part in the in the opera. Meg's like she, her manager. I don't think it's official until. Christine gets the offer, and then Meg's like, oh, yeah, I'm her manager. Okay. You know? All right. Okay. She's being, being a bit of an artful dodger where yeah. she's like, oh, I will I will take these opportunities as they are presented to me. Up to some shenanigans? Yeah. Molly Shan's like, I can't wet my beak? Yeah. So. When does Molly eat? Right. Molly's got to eat. Right. Hey, Molly's not working in a library forever. <laughs> That'll be on Saturday Night Live soon. <laughs> so uh, Christine performs... DJT and she as she's performing it she envisions like a hall full a theater full of people clapping applauding you know yeah and you're like cool this is fun like I was already like yeah I'm on board it rewards repeat viewings there's a lot going on actually yeah not a crazy amount yeah no because I mean also it it strips down its source material where you're you're well I think they were intentionally planning on playing things out over multiple films so this first film doesn't have to do all of that because they were like oh this is Robert England. He's been Freddy for, like, whatever, most of a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is some kind of mirroring here with how he looks. Yeah, that's the thing. What? Is he doesn't look different enough. Yeah. Might have been a big hurdle for audiences. 
Yeah. They do a lot that's really interesting with right. him, well, but the fact cause... that Freddy looks so much like Robert Englund and that Eric Destler looks so much like Robert Englund. Well, because some of the most interesting things are like him, quote unquote, like covered, where he's yes. he's got like well, we'll almost get like cat people. We looking, will get there because of the how spotty the uh, eyebrows yes. are. I think mostly is my oh, yeah. issue. No, we'll get there. She performs DJT. She envisions everybody cheering for her, right? Yeah. Um. And, and this workman who is, like, helping to build the sets because mm-hmm. they're preparing the opera is, like, enraptured by her performance or possibly the view down her dress from above. <laughs> who is to say? I was not there. <laughs> oh, no. I done dropped a sandbag. Oh, no. I hit her in the face and knocked her out. And then it broke a mirror. And when the mirror breaks, she travels back in time to 1885. Yes. I love this. The more I watch this film, the more I love that that's the transitionary... Sure. thing is like shattering a mirror yeah it's this big mirrored like thing behind her on stage and like the sandbag hits her hits the mirror shatters the mirror it does it, honestly we referenced labyrinth talked about labyrinth earlier well it's and, a lot like the labyrinth like yeah. falling into dream yes. sort of like thing well and that's so i don't know if i've talked about this with you before but that was oh my a god mo- were you an opera singer who was knocked out and traveled back in time 100 years no oh. like formative movies when you're a kid mm. and you see them over and over and over again i had a fucking you know rip of not rip if whatever rip dupe dupe of uh dupe the- rip hey everybody my name is dupe rip my my you if you guys need quaaludes i still got them somehow they're in my boot my dad had made me a tape <laughs> of the labyrinth and willow dupe rip so i my new character do you not like dupe rip had a tape that I watched a lot as a kid that was The Labyrinth followed by Willow. Oh, So I watched the both of them yeah, yeah. together a lot. Yeah, yeah. I love Willow. I yeah. love Labyrinth, but like... Yes. A lot of people love Labyrinth. Yeah. Not enough people talk about how much they yes. love Willow. Yeah, yeah. So they're both very good, and they were both movies that I watched like a ton as it a kid. It went away. <laughs> I burn in darkness without you. And it went away. away. I watched Labyrinth a lot as a child. And yes, there were a lot of elements in this that were very reminiscent of that for me. The mirror, the fact that Christine looks a lot... A lot like Jennifer Connelly. Yes. Playing, I forget her name in there. Sarah? Sarah, yes. The power dynamic of like, I am influencing everything around you, but also I ultimately just want you to say that you love me. Magical controlling... Right. Right. But then also that there's sexy this, daddy figure. Yes, but sexy yeah. daddy figure. But also that there's this element of like consent that cannot be compelled. That right. has to be given freely. Right. Magic and, rules. Yeah. The masquerade ball and the shattering of the mirrors are all aesthetically yeah. similar to this. So there was a lot Your going. Eyes can be so cruel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like the musical undertones. So there's a lot of. Yeah. A lot of similarities to that. So I, I, it really resonated with me in a way that, like, did you not once say in uh, your fucking uh, film class that your favorite film was Beetlejuice? And that also has that similar dynamic of control and consent. Mm. Oh, 100%. It's it's classic fairy tale archetype. Yes. Archetypeture. Yeah. Sure. I can manipulate all of reality. The only thing I can't change is you. Yeah. And that's why I love you. Sure. Like that's that's kind of yeah. what it is. Like Yeah. So, Christine wakes up, she is in 1885 maybe, according to Wikipedia, and she sees Meg. That's right, Molly. Sh- oh, what's that? No, we recast Meg? Oh, okay. 
It's Emma Rawson. I don't mm-hmm. know her uh, from from anything. Um, and also, she's barely in this. Yeah, she's barely yeah. in it. But like, it's just very funny. They were like, we can't have Molly Shannon <laughs> be the be the past Meg. Either the either they were like that's too confusing, or she has too modern a face, or we don't want to hear Molly Shannon do a British accent. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So it's probably because Molly one. Shannon one hundred percent would have been like. It's me, yeah, Meg Governor. Yeah, oh my, oh, it's me, a chimney sweep. You passed out on the stage, you did. Maybe it's thematic. Spoilers for the fucking end, but Eric, oh, 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 I haven't <laughs> seen it. Yeah, you better find it. Uh, but Eric Dessler, Eric with a K, by the way. Yeah, you know you can't trust motherfucker spells it with a K. No, well, okay, so maybe this is me reading too much into it, but. He is, like, deathless. So the fact that he is the same and that Christine has sort of traveled back in time to a previous life, I guess, she looks like herself because we're seeing it from her vantage point. He looks like himself because he doesn't change. Meg is different because it's a different Meg. Sure, yeah. And all that kind of makes sense. I get that. I think it's funny because you could have easily... reincarnation kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It totally works, but you could have easily cast Molly Shannon to have these two, like, or three lines. But, I mean, if that was a conscious choice, I kind of get what we're doing yeah, with I, all that. I'm not mad about it. I think it's funny. But, again, I could see, like, again, her being, you know, yeah, her, I her mean, viewpoint. And, it could, and it's, it's just saying something yeah. about the repeating nature of time and people and things, you know. Sure. I was getting a dental procedure done uh, this past week, and I heard, overheard from the, um, I don't know what the word is, I'll say the bay next to me. Uh, a guy in the chair who was like, only this big, and that's that's as much space as God made for a face. So, you know, you got 40 million people in the world. That's all I heard. And I thought about it the whole time that my dentist was working in my mouth. Uh, it was volleying between wondering exactly what that was and also trying to remember all the lyrics to the dentist song from Little Shop. Yeah. Now, spit! Okay. I was going to say like that. Yeah. <laughs> I could hear it echoing off yeah. the wall. I faced away from both microphones. Yeah. Turns out I'm like Banshee from the X-Men. Yeah. Yeah, kind of are. I just concuss people. And they look at me and they're like, oh, he's a sad sack. Look at him. Look at his dumpy physique. But it's like, no, I will body slam you. And then I'll scream in your face and your eardrums will burst. And I will win the belt. What belt? Whatever belt you got. I'll collect belts. That's what I do now. This is my life now. And that's how Hunter is Luna from Final Fantasy X. Oh, yeah. She got that dress out of belts. Yeah. Her dress was, like, all belts. Yeah. She was basically, like, she found that at a Cenobite's garage sale. Yeah. Some Cenobite, Cenobite named, like... <laughs> some Cenobelt. Some Cenobelt named, like, Fuck Machine. Because they all have names like that. They all have yeah, names that are, well. like, kind of insulting, but, like, maybe kind of cool. Yeah. Pinhead. Butterball. You know, the the, the lady apocryphally the was deep throat. The female centibite, but Well, yeah, she was deep, deep throat, throat but I they know. were like, we can't call it that. We call it the female centibite, which is actually way more offensive. Yeah. It's like, what's more offensive? Being like, we're going to define you only by your gender and that's it? Or that you're the throat goat? Like, what's the worst, like... I mean, not to mention that, like, a lot of people... So, they're doing a, a, a reboot, I guess, kind yeah, of, yeah. of the... 
and it's the guys are, that did uh, Nighthouse. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited yeah. for this. And people are pissed off about the gender of Pinhead, and it's like, well, he's supposed to be genderless, though. So, yeah. I mean, like we say he, but like also, it's not even he. It's, it's right. You this, were like, like, you were like, oh, that pillar of masculinity, yeah. Doug Bradley. Yeah, not a dig at Doug Bradley. Right. I'm also not a pillar of masculinity, but like, he's not exactly like. Of the fucking brawny paper towel guy with pins in his head, like yeah. he's an ephemeral, yeah, you know, androgynous, like very horny being. That's the thing that those first two movies get that the other ones don't get. Yeah, because they're not it's demons. Not, it's not Ron Swanson here, right? They're not <laughs> demons. They're not just like here to be like, I've come to torture you. Well, it's they the... exist outside of our understanding of space and time, and they're just like. I've come to so many things that it doesn't excite me anymore. And now I put pins in me. It's the only way I can yeah. come. So uh, when when Christine's finally in the past, we meet Destler, Eric Destler, which is Robert Englund. Um, we see the titles of the uh, operas that he has written and is working on. What he's working on is called The Immortal Vision. And the one that I guess he's already written that we see over his shoulder is the illusion of time which is very important mm -hmm. i think that's great those are great details didn't catch him the first time loved it when i caught him what's he doing is he composing no hunter he's not he's sewing skin onto his face why he's hideously deformed cool moving right along we'll get to that later so what we find out is that in the past as well as you know the present like we saw in the present in the past some workman is responsible for shattering a mirror knocking out christine which is why she wakes up and she's like, where am I? Oh, I'm in 1885. I won't even, I don't even notice it. Yeah. Because I've been cast into a past life. It's yeah. a dreamlike state. I understand. I, it's magic. Sure. So that guy, the other dudes are like, yeah, you were looking at a boobies with your hand in, a, in your pants or whatever. And he's like, no, the ghost did it. And they're uh -huh. like, oh, for sure. I believe you. And he's like looming on the catwalk. I've seen him. Eyes like fire and a death mask for a face. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Good description. Which and I guess is what everybody just calls a skull. Yeah, death mask is skull, skull-like. Yeah. Yeah. It's some, like a skull was sometimes referred to as the death's head. Yeah. The death's head moth is mm -hmm. the moth the, on the Silence of the Lambs that has yeah. like a skull shape mm -hmm. on its back. That's what, yeah. So death mask, a death's head, a skull. So that guy, it turns out, was just blaming... His own fuck up, yeah, on. fuckery on this ghost who definitely haunts the theater, and so um, his name is Joseph, and my 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 note is, you know, looming on the catwalk, blah blah blah. Says Joseph. My next note is, rip Joseph, yeah. <laughs> um, because immediately as soon as he says that, he's like, okay, I'm going up to the top of the top of the top of the catwalk for no reason, and it's to drink a lot of gin. And uh, when he's up there, Destler shows up and he's like, hey, so couldn't notice you fucking blame me for that shit. That was all on you. And he's like, oh, it won't happen again. He's like, I know because you're suspended. And I was like, oh, this is some Freddy shit. Yeah. Because what does he do? He fucking drops a sandbag. There's like a loose rope coil around mm -hmm. Joseph's ankle. It pulls him. He goes down. He, uh, Destler cuts the thing and he comes back up. And as he's coming up, Destler has this like, it's uh, it's a handle. And then there's like a knife blade and the knife blade comes out from between his middle and the ring finger. Yeah. It's this cool little stabby punchy John. I don't know if it has a name. I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it has a name. I don't... But okay. as, as Joseph is coming back up past Destler, he just sticks it out and guts him. And you're like, hell yeah. Pretty fun. Not super bloody, but 
the implication is obvious, right? So that's why, like, being edited for MPAA, I still think it works and is nice and creepy. But the quip, I just, I didn't need it. I don't need it. It's fine, but I don't need it. Christine seems to have, like, it's like a dream. She's fallen into the middle of a life. It's not like she woke up and is like, I'm unfamiliar with these times and these people. She just falls into this body and is completely aware of everything that's been happening to this person, right? This version of her. She starts hearing Destler's voice and kind of seeing visions of him. It's shot weird where like he's kind of superimposed over footage of her. Um, but I'm not sure if she's actually supposed to be able to see like him at all or if she's just hearing his voice. But, uh, you know, and that's kind of weird. We'll find out why uh, shortly. But he's like, you know basically he's dressed like dark man he's got a big old hat and a coat on and all that sort of shit but he's just like you can do it it's very echoey you know uh he asked her to sing one of the arias she starts singing it but like wrote like if you were like hunter sing row 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 your boat like row 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 your boat gently merrily 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 and you'd be like no no no, sing it with passion i'm like row 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 your boat and you're like ah that's it so, yeah. and he says, tonight, the world will love you. In this mm-hmm. echoey, you know, magic Eric Dessler voice. So then we meet the hilariously named Martin Barton. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, Bill Nighy. Yeah. From Shaun of the Dead, episode, like, I think 11. Um, yeah. I did the uh, the old, uh, hey, Hunter's Letterbox. what do I know Bill Nighy from? I mean, I know I know him yeah. from a million things, but, like, what have I logged on Letterboxd? Mm-hmm. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, okay. The Limehouse Golem, which is okay. Oh, yeah. A bunch of the Underworlds, which yes. are less okay. Yeah. I forgot he's in Detective Pikachu, <laughs> but he is. I also forgot he's in Detective Pikachu. And then Shaun of the Dead and is, Hot Fuzz. Is he just like the big guy that's got the He's the big Mr. bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. And okay. then, yeah, uh, then Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So, fun, fun little, uh, you know. Yeah. Again, just just what I've logged on Letterboxd since I started Letterboxd. Those people that log stuff they had seen before, I don't trust you. <laughs> Are you sure you watched it? Are you sure you appreciated it? Absorbed it? Yeah, you're living in the now. Yes. Yeah. From the moment I started Letterboxd, I only log the films that I've seen, you know, since then. Except for one, one outlier. Two outliers, I'm sorry. One was uh, Russell Mania. Uh, Russell Madness. Yeah. Which is about a Jack Russell Terrier that learns to wrestle. Because Hunter and I watched it. We watched it the night that David Bowie died. Unfortunately, yes, on that night. Uh, Because a podcast I like was doing an episode on it. I was like, oh, we'll watch it. It'll be trash. But then when I listen to the episode, I'll know it. And then we found out David Bowie died. And I was like, I can't go back to this shit movie. Yeah. So we we, we got like two thirds of the way through and just quit. We stopped partway through. And that's that's, that's the only reason I logged it is I'm never going to watch it again. I'm never going to finish it. So I went back. To the date, and I logged it, and I was like, that's it. And the other one was, um, I approximated Cannibal Holocaust. Oh. Because I had seen it, but I never, I never want to watch it again. There's, okay. You know, there's animal stuff in it that I'm not comfortable with. I, I appreciate it for its historical value. I really do, genuinely. Yeah. Uh, and support the filmmakers. And I think that, I think that what they did was great. I just don't want to watch it again. That's and they my... showed it on last uh, last drive-in. Yeah. But I was like, I'm skipping it because I don't want to watch it again. That's on my list of maybes. Yeah, I think it's worth watching once. Yeah. 
Uh, and like, if you like it, if you can, you can handle it, cool, do it more than once. But mm. I, I, I'm good. Well, so I approximated and that, and yeah. I've definitely had movies like that that generally are things that are too sad to revisit. Sure. Life is Beautiful, I was just recently talking about, where I'm like, yeah, I saw it once, and I don't know if I will ever watch it again, because sure. it is depressing. Never seen it, so I'll probably watch it. Oh, I'll watch yeah. it up here, and you can watch uh, <laughs> Count of the Holocaust, Holocaust downstairs. downstairs. All right. All right. <laughs> this is how... Listen, you don't have to go to an abandoned mental institution to fuck. This is how you make a relationship work. Yeah. Sweetie, you go downstairs. You We're going to both watch you, life-ruining things on you, different floors. You watch Cannibal Holocaust, and I'll stay up here and I'll watch Life is Beautiful. Ooh. About the real Holocaust. Oh, yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah, I know. I just put that, yeah. Yeah. I just thought of that independently. <laughs> <laughs> with, no, with no outside stimuli. I just put that together because I'm a genius. Oh, my God. Weird. Oh, boy. Isn't that weird? Oh, um, my God. Cut so much of this out. Jesus. I'm leaving so much of it in. So. Martin Barton visits the diva Carlotta, played by Stephanie Lawrence. Yo, this has some of the most succulent bon mots. <laughs> I am so horny right now. If you just said succulent bon mots, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I could get into that. I know. No. I'll like... succulent your bon mots. Oh, you boy. know what I'm saying? Um, you know what I'm saying? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. No, Carlotta's my favorite character. Yeah, well, so... Two, twofold. One, she's fucking vicious. And two, she's basically out of the movie, like, in two scenes. Um, yeah, uh, Which play... is good, because it's the Chandler rule of, like, you have somebody, they show up, they are uh, a scud missile, like, they are guided missile mm-hmm. shit, and then they just disappear and they're gone. Played by Stephanie Lawrence. I said that. Oh, okay. Stephanie Lawrence. And, I mean, she was mostly, like, a theater actress. Yeah. And, yeah, she's just sitting in a tub, uh, just, right. you know, she's being the diva. savage. She's yeah. the diva, so she is, like, you know, a fucking number one bitch for the show. Yeah. And Barton is, like, a producer for the show, basically. He's works Yeah, the I think theater. he's, like, supposed to be a stage manager, and then, I, yeah, I th- I th- like, yeah. concretely, he is... A combination of one of the managers and then also one of the counts in the original novel. Oh, in the novel. Okay. Yeah. But so he goes to her and she wants Christine removed from the show entirely, put back in the chorus, not given any kind of spotlight. And Barton, he's like, oh, Carlotta, I could drown you. And she said, this is my favorite line in the whole movie. And I like some of the dialogue in this quite a bit. Yeah. My favorite line in the whole movie. Better to be submerged in bathwater than mediocrity. Yeah. Fuck. Carlotta. Yeah. Hell yeah. She's uh, the best. I I unfortunately did not write down enough of those things, but the scene is just littered with like her Oh yeah, know, yeah. Making like these very like it's, sharp turns of phrase. It's some shit that like modern drag queens would be like Yes, Queen. Yes, I girl. know. Oh, absolutely. Like a hundred percent. It's just like it's eloquently put savage, unrecoupable takedowns. Yeah. Yes. Which is like that's the goal, right? Yeah. Like Entirely. That's what Queen Bitch is. Yes. And Carlotta is that. And I, that's why I love her. I love her so much. She's in this scene and she's in the masquerade scene. And that's it. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. She's my favorite character. She, after uh, after Martin Barton leaves. Yeah. She's like, well, I have to get ready for the opera. She goes to open her big wardrobe. What's inside the big wardrobe? Well, there's blood on the floor. And she's like, that's odd. What a queer thing to be on the yeah. floor. And she opens the wardrobe and there's a skinned man inside it. Yeah. Who reaches out to her and is like, help and then dies which is where some of the hellraiseriness yeah it's very hellraiser it's very hellraiser too yeah 
it's the skinned corpses yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and um so she starts screaming and cuts away okay we, screaming we and cut, loses her voice well so we cut out yeah. to uh martin barton he's talking to one of the opera like uh, financiers mm-hmm. um and we find out the opera is losing money because of the phantom yeah and uh, it's it's a conversation where it's like what's this and it's like oh well we put aside a whole box seat like mm-hmm. you know for the phantom and it's like well you could sell those and make more money it's like i know but if those are the phantom seats yeah and it's like what the fuck are you it's, talking about it's better to not right and it's just like oh so it wards off the evil eye or whatever and and martin's just like i don't fuck it it's we just we just don't sell the seats okay i don't know what to tell you but we find out that like yeah they're like we could be making more money and it's like i we but we can't though because the phantom um which is fun it's a fun detail uh and then we find out the corpse is joseph the rigging guy who was drinking gin and then got gutted Mm-hmm. Uh, so he got gutted, didn't die, got skinned, got put in a wardrobe, and was still alive. Why? Magic. Uh, I normally, mean... normally this would be a problem, but this movie does legitimately have magic in it, which means I'm like, okay, I buy it. I'm yeah. Okay. Moving right along. I mean, also, you know, you can survive a lot of stuff, and that's what's fucked up about some of that. Sure, this so, is a very realistic yeah. film, Allison. It's true. No, they put a lot of research into it. Well, and, they actually and, gutted and then skinned uh, people and put them in wardrobes to see how long they would last and what their last words would be. And those were verbatim. It was help me, unsurprisingly. Dessler's backstory, he had made a deal with the devil. And seen as a counterpoint to Faust, which is, like, very theatrical. Oh, are they related in some way? Yeah, Dessler is playing piano. He is a, uh, a spry... Young Robert England mm-hmm. in his mid to late thirties, at least at this point. And he's like, he's like, golly gee, I sure do love playing piano. I sure wish that people would like my songs as much as I love playing them. And the devil who's played by a, a little person shows up. Uh, the actor is John Gavin, um, which I just, anytime you see a little person playing like the devil or basically the devil, I'm just like, that's David Lynch. That's a David Lynch thing. <laughs> he does that a lot. He does a lot of he like does. he yeah. does a lot of little people that are wildly powerful. Yeah. Usually stand in for the devil or something similar. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, nice, very nineties of you. So he's playing piano during a performance of Faust, or he's playing piano like because we're so, cutting back and forth from yeah. a performance of Faust. To I thought he was just playing Dessler. piano in like a saloon of That's some type. But there's some shots but, where I thought the the performance was going on behind him. Oh, I thought that any of those shots were kind of like her during the audition, imagining that she saw the whole theater from like a hundred years ago. Maybe, and that it was that kind of a thing of like, oh, I'm remembering this thing that's happening while we're sure. watching this performance, performance. of Faust. Yeah. Um. But basically, the whole thing is that he wants his music to be loved, uh, and the devil. Uh, says like, oh, I can make that happen. You will, you know, you will have a legacy, but you'll only, it'll only cost you your looks. And so he badly burns his face, or yeah. something. Or badly something. magics it. Yeah. And now he ugly. Yeah. He uggo. Magic uggo. Got lots of a nose. Got a lot of uh, bits taken out of his. Yeah, this is a good. Uh, so let's talk about the yeah. makeup. So they do a thing later in the film where he removes the like. What he's doing is sewing skin onto these, like, patchy, you know, 
raw spots on his face to create this like mask, this visage, this disguise of a normal man with a bunch of stitches in his face. Um, well, but then he spirit gums over the stitches. Sure. So. But so when he removes them in this one scene, he also pulls off a fake nose front, which yeah. is like maybe glass or possibly some kind of like clear jade or something like stone yeah. quartz. I don't know. Yeah. Something. But that's a really cool detail. Yeah. Um, and they do a really good job with the makeup of when he's face on the camera. Mm-hmm. It really looks like he has no nose. Yeah. Um, when he, now he's, you know, he's moving around, he's, you know, whatever. And so whenever right. he's in profile or whatever, you can tell he definitely has one. Yeah. So it doesn't work the way like Voldemort shit works because that's CG augmented. Right. But I think it's like a really forgivable thing to just be like, no, nah, just go with it. Yeah. Like, and I think it works really yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, when he's face on, I'm just like, oh, I would swear he doesn't have a nose. Yeah. Like they've built a whole like cavity on his, the top of his nose. It's, it's great. It's a really fucking good, uh, prosthetic. Makeup, like, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to bring that up yeah. as long as we're talking about it. Um, we meet yeah, Inspector so, yeah. Hawkins from Scotland Yard, mm-hmm. which is Terrence Harvey. Mm-hmm. His great mustache. Eh, whatever. He's on the case. They found a skinned body. The guy's interested. What's going on here? Dessler visits a prostitute who he calls Christine. I thought they were implying that he was Jack the Ripper. I thought before that he visits a prostitute. Um, Christine has her like moment where Carlotta couldn't play the lead. Christine's her stand-in. She gets to oh sure, and then also and then he appears to her just in voice only in her dressing room like she she knows him he's a voice that like appears to her well, that trains that. her how to he's we? dressed as dark man she he tells her to sing for him with passion oh okay yeah never mind we talked yeah. about it okay he says tonight the world will love you yeah yeah that was okay before carlotta saw the skinned guy and then um when we meet uh the inspector He's like, well, so what happened? And they're like, oh, the diva found this skinned guy, but she freaked out and went home. And he's like, all right. And they're like, do you want me to get her? And he's like, it's fine. I'll talk to her if I need to. But yeah, Dessler visits mm-hmm. a prostitute, and I kind of thought they were going to imply that he was Jack the Ripper. I mean, like, A, he's technically dressed like every Jack the Ripper depiction ever. Yeah. But he doesn't kill the prostitute. He just leaves her some money. He has sex with her, calls her Christine, leaves her some money. And yeah. she's like, my name's Abigail, or whatever the fuck she says. And he's like, I don't care. I thought it was like Maddie or something. Does but it yeah, matter? I, yeah, I mean, like, he's like, uh, tonight your name's Christine. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then Christine has apparently been dating a guy named Richard the whole time. Yes. Richard is played by Alex Hyde White. He's like, Christine, I want to propose marriage. And she's like, not right now. It's not a great time. This is another blending of, of of characters from the novel. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, Alex Hyde White, I just want to point out, mm-hmm. we've seen him in five things. Oh. So, he was he was tapped to play Mr. Fantastic in the Russ Meyer Fantastic Four that got made that's, like, only available in, like, illegal bootleg. Oh. Because they only made it... Was it Russ Meyer? Mm-hmm. The one that they made yeah. only to hold on to the copyright? Right. So he's in that documentary Doom yeah. that we watched. Mm-hmm. He's in this. He's in Ishtar, oh, which we just watched. Yeah. He's in Pretty Woman, and he's in Nope. Wow. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's fun. Yeah. And uh, as long as we're doing this, um, Molly Shannon, Talladega Nights, she's in Bad Teacher. She's in Horse Girl, mm-hmm. uh, Life After Beth, mm-hmm. Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, 
and yeah. this. Those are the ones that we've logged, uh, that I've logged on Letterboxd. I just thought you'd maybe find that interesting. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, he's like, we should get married. And she's like, oh, oh, now's not a great time. I'm about to be like a super big star, you know. My pool is opened up quite a bit i don't i don't know if it's the right time to do this he's like oh that's cool he takes it well and she does it in a way that's not like no no no, i don't love you she's like oh it's it's things are so crazy right now i'm being visited by a ghost that my dad sent to teach me how to sing and also i just got bumped up to being lead diva and you know that's gonna really cut into my yeah uh, i can't i can't really be tied down i'm gonna be getting dick from so many angles and he's like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I'm I'm Alex Hyde White. Like, I'm good. I'm going to play Reed Richards. I'm self-sufficient. I'm comfortable. So, like, yeah. We'll touch base in a few months. And she's like, cool. Sounds good. I believe it's Barton talking to uh, the reviewer who has seen Christine's performance. Her, like, debut performance. Oh, yeah. And he mm-hmm. says, it'll take years and tears for her to become a star. Mm-hmm. Or to become as good as Carlotta is what he says, but I like I just like the years into it. It's you know it's good good dialogue. Yeah, it's that it's that Barton doesn't want her overshadowing Carlotta's stardom, right, or anything like that. And the and, and he's kind of re- like it'll be better financially reinf- for right. he's reinforcing the to the reviewer if he's like yeah hey you know she's just a fill in somebody new right. she's just a fill in yeah so like can you maybe not. He's basically yeah. being like, hey, can you bury her? Don't yeah. put her over. Right. Yeah. In wrestling terms. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, don't put her over. She's not going to get the belt. She's the interim champ at best. Yeah. Then Dessler gets mugged. This is a great thing. It happens every they once in a try. while. They try. Yeah. They <laughs> mug him. It just doesn't work. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a great thing that happens every once in a while in these movies where people are just completely unaware of how sinister other people are. Yeah. So like, Dessler's like in a bar. And this guy comes up to him and he kind of like is like, hey, you got money? And Dexter's like, hey, fuck off. I look like Leatherface. Like, I have this sewn together human mask. Like, and again, he covers the stitches with the yeah. fucking thing. Yeah. But like, he still looks uncanny and a bit creepy. So, <laughs> to me, he looked a lot like uh, Matt Smith, but with the fucking uh, got hot D, I, like lack of eyebrows. I mean, listen, everybody on that show looks weird. I like they're just like, hey, what should, uh, like, I like the casting, like, not even casting, the, the costume director, they're like, so, um, yeah, we have to figure out hairstyles for everybody, and they just, like, burped, and we're like, uh, blonde, make everybody blonde. And it's like, um, and they're like, yeah, I'm going back to sleep. And that's the whole I show. Mean, Everybody's I mean, blonde. yeah, it's this House of the Dragon did the Game of Thrones and stuff, and Matt Smith's playing a Targaryen, and they have they all they all are, but like everybody looks hair. weird as shit. They but didn't yeah. cast actors that look good blonde, no, which is like good or bad. I don't know, yeah. But like everybody looks weird, yeah. But yeah, so Matt Smith's got like a weird, like his face looks extra feline, I guess, with sure. the lack of eyebrows, yeah. And so that's, I mean. A hallmark of Robert Englund's character here is he really doesn't have eyebrows in a lot of his looks because, yeah. like, he's got a horribly disfigured face that's covered by a lot of, like, other people's skin and spirit gum, so... Yeah. As JR would say, flesh on flesh! Yes! So. Yes. Wrestling. Yeah. This guy yeah. leaves him alone, and then once Destler leaves the bar, he's like, oh, well, yeah. now's our time to strike. Yeah, get three so of his shows up, friends or whatever, or two and he's, or whatever. Yeah, he's like, yeah. give me your fucking money or give me your purse or whatever. And he's like, 
What will you trade? Uh, like, I'll trade in, steel for gold. In D&D, it's your GP or your HP. <laughs> no? Fine. Do you want to get technical? No, absolutely not, because that would be metagaming. No one in the no one in the game would know that the GP or HP means anything. They would say your money or your life. That's that's okay. what role playing is. Okay. So you would actually be metagaming if you were to say your GP or your HP. Now, if you were commenting on it from outside, yes, absolutely. That's a perfectly cromulent pun. But not in D and T. Just talking about it. You're such a nerd when you're drunk. I'm a nerd all the time. Okay. You're such a pedantic nerd when you're drunk. Fair. <laughs> so. It's so unlike you. I'm the pedantic nerd. Yeah. So, Dessler <laughs> uses a whip out of nowhere, which is great. Uh, the other guy had it. One of the other muggers had it. But, like, yeah. Dessler takes it off him and whips it. Which I just like him being like, ah, oh, fuck it. Also. But then he uses his, uh, like, little fisty knife thing. Yeah. Single Wolverine middle finger yeah. claw. Yeah. And he, he decapitates a guy. He does. Like, like, and they cut away. It's the discretionary, on. you know, yeah. discretionary cut away to, a, to the other, like, criminal guy being like, oh, 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 And then it cuts back and it's just like guy with a severed head and he rolls the head over the guy. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, fuck. And he starts to run the other way down the alley and Dessler, like, hops down from a catwalk. So he kind of can teleport. And you're just like, oh, right. He made a deal with the devil. That makes all this supernatural shit make sense. He has hell powers. So mm. all that stuff makes sense retroactively, like him being able to cast his voice into her mind and remain unseen unless he chooses to and kind of be, you know, teleporting around, hopping here and there. Like, yeah, it's all hell powers. Makes sense. Great. The uh, the, the the initial, like, you know, the only mugger with lines is like, you're a thing from hell. And Dessler says, and you, sir, are hell bound. And then he kills mm -hmm. him and he puts coins on his eyes. He says, like, you'll die a rich man, but that's what he means. He puts coins in his eyes, like, uh, for Charon the Riverman. Yeah, which, I mean, there's a lot of things here. Like, Hellbound reminds me of Hellraiser, Hellraiser which is because the, the Hellbound Heart. The and... Well, the sequel is called Hellbound Hellraiser oh, okay. 2. Yeah. And the original story is the Hellbound Heart. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, yeah, Charon um, is you the, know, boatman. the boatman of the underworld. And in the novel, there's the lake. And that's kind of the transition yeah. into the underworld. And so... Which kind of the Adam Samley... Yeah. Yeah. References. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's just like a lot of... A lot of yeah. this in the soup here. <laughs> Influences, baby. Yeah. It's great. That's the kind of stuff that Jordan Peele does really well, where it's not one-to-one -one parodies, copying, referencing a thing. It's taking all these influences, yeah, putting it's... them all in a big pot... And what comes out comes out, and there's pieces of things that you recognize more readily than other things, and... Right, it's getting a lot more, like, subconscious with it, and, like, like stream of consciousness, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Subtextual, rather yes. than textual. Right. Yeah. Which is a thing that Jordan Peele does unlike really anybody. Yes. We were just talking about Nope, and how... I mean, I appreciate a lot of his work more than I... Now that I understand, like, his attachment to... The Twilight Zone and that type of like story supernatural storytelling where yeah, where it's very illogical, but in that again, like dreamlike kind of way. Right. Because again, yeah, nobody really does that. But No, it's not you know, one to one. It's not right. oh, this happened, so then this happened, or this wouldn't have happened if this did you know, whatever. It's it's like, oh, things just happen. Yeah. And sometimes other things happen that are weird, but they're not necessarily related. Right. Because sometimes things are just weird. Yes. Yeah. 
and which and, is yeah, yes, a I thing mean, that's not really present in Get Out. It's more present in Us. Yes, but having seen Get Out, which is a very like linear, literal film, it does have moments, but like for the most right. part, it's very linear and literal. Yeah. Then to have these moments of unreality, like defined unreality in Us, threw me a little bit. Yeah. We talked about it in the episode. Like, yeah. the first time I watched it, I liked it less than the second time. The second yes. time, I was like, I appreciate it more. I, I get it now, a little bit yeah. more. There's still things that don't line up. Right. But now, having seen Nope, and being like, oh, this is, like... It wasn't a one-off. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't, oh, he didn't quite fulfill the whatever. It's like, no, no, that was what exactly what he was trying to do. Yeah. He's working on a different, like, you know, plane, like, yeah. storytelling-wise. Right. Not better or worse, just different than a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, to a different purpose and on a different right. aesthetic level. Right, and that's yeah. like way more present and highlighted in Nope. Absolutely. In a way that it wasn't in Us, but makes me understand that that's what he's doing in Us. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Still contend that if you cut out like eight seconds at the end, it's a much better movie by like sure. a huge margin. But, you know, that's just me. I'm not, you know, I'm not a famous director or anything. Moving right along. Christine gets negative reviews from this, uh, you know, reviewer as, as was set up. In the previous scene. Yeah. Uh, which then, Destler kills him. Yeah. In the steam room. He's like, oh, he's, he's trying, to be fair, yeah, he's trying bath. to talk him in to being like, maybe you should come and see it again. Yeah. And he's like, no. And he's like, that theater, listen, I know the acoustics are not great in every seat. Maybe you need a better seat. I can offer you my personal haunted phantom box seats. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the acoustics are perfect. It's the which... perfect spot. If, if you're ever offered the haunted phantom box seats, take it. Yeah. Best seat in the house. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, my seats are the best. Guy's like, I'm still not interested. I would rather, I think he sounds like, I would rather have my head crushed. Or whatever. I think it's like, basically what he says. And Destler goes, cool, no problem, can do. And fucking wraps a towel around his head and just like squeezes it so tight that his head kind of pops like a grape. Again, this feels discretionarily like edited. Because you just see, like, blood start to soak into the towel, but, like, you yeah, want um, you want a big Gallagher sploosh. It's just, I would rather die than listen oh, to okay. that shrieking child for another evening, and then he says, as you wish. Sure. And, yeah. Rolls down a hill? No. Oh, that's a different movie. No, fucking demolishes his head. But, yeah, you want it to pop, like, a Gallagher watermelon, like, but it doesn't, which is kind of like, all right. Yeah. I still like it. Christine goes to visit her papa at the cemetery. Yeah. And devil magic locks the cemetery gates behind her. Yes. Dessler is walking around her playing the violin and like Richard comes and he's trying to open it. And the whole time I'm just like, J- just reach in and open the latch. Like it's not that hard. Yeah. And then eventually that is what he does. And I'm like, it took you way too long. You don't deserve to get married. You're not smart enough. But Dessler's like, oh, Christine, get in my glowing carriage, which is great. It looks great. Yeah. It's like lit from within. The door it's opens on red. its own. Yeah. She gets in. It starts to drive away. Dessler's in the, like, you know, driver position, like, on the top front of the carriage. And he's, he's playing the bow, like, a, a, the violin, like, high-pitched thing that, like, almost makes Richard's ears bleed. Like, yeah. Which is great. I was like, hell yeah. Like, death by music. Like. Yeah. There's a line in uh, Lost Boys, I believe, which is death by stereo. Yeah. They smash a vampire, I think, with a, with a stereo. Uh-huh. It's fun. And there's yeah. a band called Death by Stereo, which I always assume is a Lost Boys reference. Anyway, moving along. Destler turns out has a subterranean layer in the sewers, as you do, in case you've never, you know, Phantom of the Opera before. You might be surprised. Mm-hmm. 
first of all, it's full of candles, like the police video for Wrapped Around My Finger. Like, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous in there. Yes. It's great. I love it. Very goth kid. So he's like, here's the music I've been working on, Christine, which is DJT. And yeah. she immediately starts singing it, including the lyrics. Yeah. And he's, you know, like, how did you know the words to my song? No one's ever heard this before. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I've, I I think I've sang it before. So she, in the past, is remembering the future. Yes. Um, which makes the, his name is familiar to me, like, thing, like, as an echo, like, very interesting and fun in a time-loopy way. Yes. Uh, and it does reinforce, as we are approaching the climax, that she wasn't just cast into the past, whatever, like, she still remembers the future. Like, she's still of that time. Yeah. She's right? got some sort of, like, connection between, like, past and future lives. Right. A la the opening... Yes. ...script of, yeah. Live their lives again. Yeah, reliving their wretched life through all time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah, hers is, like, a lot more metaphysical, whereas his is a lot more literal. Yeah, at one point he says, like, I've been waiting such a long time for this. And, like, at this point, the reincarnation and, like, love that has transcended ages, you know, thing, Mm -hmm. it's very universal monsters, right? Yeah, it's very The Mummy. It's The Mummy and fucking Dracula. Every version of Dracula is him being like, you look exactly like my beloved. Yeah. You know, and she's like, who? And, um... He's well, like, don't worry, she died a yeah. hundred years ago, but I am ageless. Yeah. But, so he's like, I waited so long for this to happen, Christine. And in my head, I was like, not quite as good a line as, I have crossed oceans of time to be with you. Right. Which is a much better line, baby. Woo! That one is a steamy one. Yeah. I have crossed oceans of time to be with you. That's a panty dropper. Like, it really <laughs> is. Gender aside. <laughs> That's an oops, where did my underwear go? Like, line. Which mm-hmm. is, you're just like, yeah, all right. So, um, Hawkins, Inspector Hawkins, has crime scene photos. And I turned to Allison, I was like, did they have photography in 1885? They did. They did, but not as presented in the film. And presented in the film, it's basically like the 70s. Like, he just plops down a couple, like, big black and white Polaroids, kind of. And it's yeah. like, this is the fucking whatever. And I'm just like, no way. So, photography was invented in 1822, so 50-odd years before this. And there were also, like, Allison had looked up, some pretty Um, considerable leaps in photographic technology. Yeah, well, it was was before 1822, because they were able to do the the daguerreotypes. Daguerreotypes. Daguerreotypes, yes. Uh, And this is going to sound like a bit, but there's a wet process and a dry process. Yeah. And that was in the 1850s, so like a good 20 to 30 years before this film. Yes. Um, which changed the way, you know, the way photography looked and could be processed and how yeah. quickly and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wet plates needed to be processed very quickly. Right. After being exposed to light. So you that had... That was the um, camera had... with the cloak over yes. it and things. You needed to and... mix your chemicals right there out right. of light. And yeah. where you need to stay in place for like two minutes to expose the film. Yeah, long exposure Well, not place. film, but like the, the Image, the daguerreotype, yeah. 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 Um, but the dry The dry process... type let you prepare slides before you were going to expose them so you could actually be in places other than your photography studio. It's basically the process of Polaroids, where it's yeah. like, it is a chemical thing between, you know, several layers of material, and then 
the camera imprints an image upon it. Yeah. It's basically that. That, and then, I mean, also, like, yeah, film cameras right. were not very long after. Whereas, like, the the old style was, like, a slide that you had chemically treated, then put in a camera exposed to light of the image that you wanted to capture, and then were very careful with for your various dippings in a dark room setting. Right. So, this was, like, feasible, but probably still not 100% accurate, because it, it definitely just looked like the big glossy 70s photos that you would get in like Serpico. Yeah. Where he's like, look at these, you know, whatever. Like, and I just, it, well, it pulled me out of it for a second. It never happened before. I never really noticed it before. There was but... also an odd thing where like those plates were actually much more durable than like acetate film or than any other okay. things. But they were a lot more expensive to use and reuse. Well, sure. But nobody um, knew that at the time because there wasn't anything well, there to yes, the only option. Yes, I know. But yeah, but so I don't know about the clarity of them when they were fresh or anything like that. Sure. You know? like, but yeah, so these, I don't know how again, that is. these look very modern. Sure. That's why I was like, because I, I, I don't know that much about photography. So I was like, did they even have like photography of the era of Jack the Ripper? Like, yeah. So I, was like, I guess they did. Yeah. Also, the only reason that I had some of that at the ready was that I had uh, watched a video about... Um, Again, the daguerreotype and stuff, and um, the phantom photos, like of the opera. No, but like, like, like the invisible mother thing, and then like other like phantom photography stuff that like spiritualism was doing. Yeah, yeah, double exposure. Yes, and, yeah. yes, mm -hmm. yes, all that. Yeah, the 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 yeah, the, yeah. Uh, trickery, hucksterism, spirit photos, right. And I mean, some of it was probably accidental, but not all of it. Right. Some of it was very intentional. Right. And some of it was real. Yeah. <laughs> no. You don't know. I don't know. It's just by the law of, you know, yeah. law of averages. Like <laughs> Law of averages. Some, some of it was that. accidental, some of it was real, and some, a lot of it was fake. Okay. Anyway, this is where Desler removes his disguise, and when he has it all off, he starts to look like Mason Verger from Hannibal. Mm, yeah. The guy that uh, Hannibal fed his face to his pigs. Mason Mason had the, the pigs that ate people. Yeah. And he would wipe them out. And then Hannibal's like, well, I'm going to feed you to the pigs. And he did. Yeah. So Mason's all chewed up. Uh, he was Michael Pitt on the Hannibal TV show. And he's Gary Oldman in Hannibal the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's with the, the jade or quartz or glass like nose plate thing, nose cover. Mm -hmm. Which is cool, cool detail. Um, so then, Christine, Richard... Inspector Hawkins, Destler, Carlotta, and Barton are all at this masquerade ball. Yes. Uh, I mean, everybody's got, you know, fancy pants, masquerade masks and whatever. And, you know, we we all know, we, we know something's up. There's a lot of moving parts. Everybody's sort of intermingling and stuff. And we're waiting for Destler. And when Destler shows up, he looks incredible. He is dressed as the Mask of the Red Death. Yeah. Thematically, it's very interesting because he's in a very arresting costume. So a lot right. of like he's getting a lot of yes, there's um, a lot attention. of attention, a lot of black and white, and like yeah. close to that, like even a blue that's kind of in that zone, yeah. and like pinks that are kind of in that zone. Yeah, and then he's in this very red. Yes, and you know, getting a lot of attention. Whereas like normally, like he's flying under everybody's radar. He's right. doing these back channels in and out of the opera and stuff. And yeah. he's, you know, he has a he he has a friend a who is a rat catcher. Yeah, who he has employed to make sure rats leave him alone. Yeah, which again is kind of an amalgam of a couple of different characters in sure. the in the novel. It's kind of the rat catcher and the Persian. 
Okay. Yeah. It's been a long time since I read it, yeah. so I don't remember details about these yeah, people. Yeah, the rat catcher's very minor okay. in the actual thing. It's it's more of like a red herring. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I, I, I just, I love, and I've noted, I've noted this since the first time I watched it, it's this, like, literary illusion in this, you know, adaptation yes. of, of famous literature. Like, yep. it's Poe, you got Poe into my Gaston LaRue, like, or whatever, yep. you know, like, hey, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good, yeah, you got this crazy skull mask, he goes and flirts with Carlotta, she's into it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She's into it it's a lot of fun there's some double entendre dialogue you know where she's like i absolutely must see your face and she's like you know he's like oh you wouldn't you wouldn't like it you know and she's like well what'll happen if i see it he's like you'll die you'll absolutely die what will i think when i see you'll just die right which sounds like you know i'm so handsome you're gonna shit your pants and then the next thing we know carlotta's head turns up in the soup or the punch something that involves because they're doing like a a bunch of shots of the food yeah they're doing and there's this weird like far away like voiceover of being like oh there's a there's a cooked goose prepared in this style and then there's this thing and whatever and then the soup and the soup tonight is and when he's saying the soup somebody has like a ladle and i was like but it looks like punch but it doesn't matter but yeah ladles up her head everybody's just throwing up they're like i was drinking that has Severed Diva's head in it. Sure. That doesn't happen. It could. It should have. Is this when he he takes Christine down? He takes her, like, kidnaps her, takes her down to his lair, right? And everybody else gives chase. Uh, Richard and the inspector and his deputy and the rat catcher all. Yeah, it's like the second time he's taken her down. Yeah, because so. the, uh, the inspector catches the rat catcher like... He's doing the old man at uh, catering kind of thing where he's like loading his pockets with bran yeah. muffins, except it's just like taking whatever yeah. off the table and like pocketing it. Yeah, and he grabs turkey his, legs and shit. Yeah, he grabs yeah. his arm and he's like, you work for, you know, the Phantom or whatever. And he's like, uh, uh, no, I don't. And he's like, yeah, you fucking do. Come on. And I love that the rat catcher has this mask that's kind of ratty. And then he has a top hat that has rat ears on it. Yeah. <laughs> Not subtle. No. Uh, but I like that he took the time to be fanciful. Mm-hmm. Let your freak flag fly, rat catcher. Yeah. Dessler tells Christine, hell is getting what you desire. It's desire is only a demon. Hell is getting what you desire. Oh, okay. Was the whole line, which I thought was impactful somewhat. Expand on that. Uh, That, like, passion, or maybe, maybe it was passion is only, I don't know if I necessarily had all that accurately, but... You know, yeah, that there is, you know, a thing that plagues you but is fleeting, but then the actual torture is getting what you really want. Sure. And, yeah, I don't know, I found that poignant. Oh. Um, Yeah, a lot of this dialogue is, yeah, not from the novel, which I thought there might be, but, uh, you know, has its own kind of, you know... Kick. Yeah. 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 Yeah, whoever was responsible for that, great job. I don't know if it was, you know the initial screenplay or if it was additional passes or whatever it's definitely not inherent in the source material but like yeah good job i'll just credit the writers credited on imdb based on a screen based upon a screenplay by jerry o'hara screenplay by duke sandifer yeah so let me see duke sandifer oh no (laughs) oh no 
He wrote some of the Mortal Kombat TV show. He wrote the Atlas Shrugged movie. And some episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. So, going to avoid that. Went, went a little Dr. Evil. I don't know what Walk, you're talking about. Walker, Texas Ranger. So, turns out Jerry O'Hara directed the Avengers television show from 1950, 1965 to 1966. Okay, drop it. I don't think I will. I think <laughs> I'll finish the whole damn episode speaking like Dr. Evil. So the rat catcher's played by an actor named Yehuda Efroni. Mm -hmm. um, he did a fine job. He leads Richard Hawkins and, uh, you know, D Deputy Davies, who I haven't really mentioned. He's been around, but he's not really relevant. He's just the deputy that works with the inspector. Mm -hmm. um, played by Nathan Lewis. He's got, like, a little scar on his forehead and, like, a white streak in his hair right next to the scar. So, mm -hmm. like... It's just like, ah, oh, he's been around. He's seen some shit. Uh -huh. Like, it's just like, it's fun. You know, good character design. Um, and the rat catcher leads them basically into this labyrinth of tunnels. And he goes through a, a gate, shuts it behind him. And he's like, just keep going down and to the right and down and down and down. And you'll find him. And I got to go because rats or whatever. And he just fucks off and does not appear in the rest of the film. Uh -huh. And they kind of get lost. And part of it, I think, is hell magic. Like, you know hellraiser kind of like warping their perceptions and leading them away because like deputy davies wanders off he hears somebody calling his name he's yeah. like down these stairs through this room up here oh down and then around and up and down and when he opens a door with his gun out he shoots and kills like some random constable that had been with them this bobby as they yeah. called him over there at that time yeah i mean also the source material has um the the phantom as a like expert ventriloquist yeah so throws his voice yeah there might be references to that yeah he's like deputy davies watch as i drink this entire glass of water while chip sings the star spangled banner sure yeah that's what ventriloquists do i don't make the rules yeah he shoots this bobby and then Dessler like you know sets on him and pulls his heart out i was like all right just really cutting to the chase there there's no pun. There's no, like, foreplay. He's just like, I pulled your heart out. You're fucking dead. And, uh, yeah. In in this sequence, it has one of your favorite shots of... Dessler running through the, like, the catacombs. Yeah, like the, the sewers. sewers. Oh, Still yeah, dressed so as good. Mask the Red Death. So this he's got this cape, cape going. He's oh. so got this like red cape going, and he's, and he's splashing he's... through, like... And England is kind yeah. of too tall, so he's like kind of hunched and like, oh, uh, it's just like it's it's so good and it's just it yeah, it's, it's shot really. It's in the trailer. It is it yes. is one of the best shots. Yeah, it's shot really really well. Um, yeah. The director of photography on this is Peter Lyons Collister, who's directed a bunch of stuff or not directed. I'm sorry, DP'd a bunch of stuff. He worked um, the year before on. Halloween 4, The Return mm -hmm. of Michael Myers, with director Dwight Little. But yeah, I, I think this movie looks great. Mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah, that is, the, you're right, that is my favorite, probably my favorite shot in the whole thing. Destler plays what he says is either a wedding march or a funeral mass. That is one of the few lines that is taken from the novel. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he's playing that for Christine because um, he wants to marry her, but he's like, eh, or we, or, or we fucking die down here. Mm -hmm. I don't really care which. I'm a sewer man. It's 
thematically the thing that we talked about where it's fairy tale logic where it's like I can manipulate everything around you but ultimately you need yeah. to give me consent yeah um so Hawkins and Richard find him Richard's trying to choke him out and uh he pushes Richard up against the wall and again candles everywhere and so one of those things is like a pointy thing well it's a like a pan like a frying pan but the far end of the frying pan has a blade on it so you can mm-hmm. stab it into the wall to put a candle on the frying pan part to hold a candle um so he pulls that out and stabs richard in the side with it mm-hmm. and richard's just like ow fuck yeah he dies like a dummy yeah i mean he goes down trying to save his, his, his uh would-be fiance so like you know no harm no foul he's a good guy sure um he's not a prick but you know, he gets got yeah he does um, and she's just like, fuck this shit. And she starts kicking over all the candles, knocking shit down. Yeah. Everything catches fire. Everything is doused in gasoline. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the sewer. There's a lot of methane down there. So everything just goes up. Well, it's in London, so it's methane. It is true. It's, it is <laughs> euthane. Um, oh, so. Gotcha. So uh, she, she has a gun. She grabs a gun from... Is it the inspector? I don't remember. I, I think he... Oh, he might have... Uh, Richard might have had a gun that Dessler knocked out of his hand and she picks it up. But she oh, shoots Dessler with it. Yeah. Like twice. And um, actually, we forgot. Richard does get one good shot in. Yeah. Because Dessler has that little hand knife thing. And mm-hmm. he's like, got it. And, and Richard oh. shoots him like right in the hand and blows yeah. it out of his hand. And we both went, good shot. Yeah. Well, and you can even see in other shots, his glove's got a hole in it. Yeah. It doesn't really affect him because hell magic, but, right. but it's a good shot. Um, yeah. So she shoots Dessler twice and then she takes this big old, like, it's like a standing lamp, like a floor lamp size candelabra thing. Yeah. And pushes it over through this giant mirror and that shatters and she wakes up back in 1989. 80s. 80s. We're living in the 80s. She wakes up on stage, you know, traditional Molly Shannon Meg is there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the guy we saw directing is there. He's like, you oh, know, they're right. And we hear someone, you know, comes running across the theater. He's like, oh, clear the way, clear the way. Is she all right? Is she all right? Comes over, gets in her face. And we're like, oh, it's just Robert Englund. Like, looks yeah. exactly like Robert Englund with like a shitty art teacher ponytail. Yeah. And he's Mr. Foster. And he assures her that she sure has the part. Foster. Uh, they definitely said Foster. Yeah. No, I know. Good point. <laughs> but um, he assures her the part is hers. Yeah. And so Molly Shannon immediately starts bartering with the director. And she's like, oh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll talk to you about her uh, her fee and whatever. And, and they walk off stage and just leave her kind of out there. And Dessler's like, do you want to get a drink? They're going to be haggling for a while. And she's like, oh, okay, sure. You know, or sorry, Foster says that. And she goes back to Foster's place. He's like, uh, you know, we're going to go out. I'm going to, we're yeah. going to paint the town, but I got to get changed. First. Yeah, I'll go upstairs really you quick. You look fabulous, yeah. babe. I'll be right back. Yeah. And so he goes upstairs. She looks, you know, he's got this little nook with keyboards and computers and shit. And because she's a fucking terrible house guest, she goes in and just starts touching everything. Yeah. And she's like, like running her hand along all the keyboards. And she's like, oh, what's this computer? Oh, it's got floppy disks. Oh, they have songs on them. This one says Don Juan Triumphant. She puts that in the computer. She's then surprised somehow because computers were new and strange. Then it starts immediately playing Don Juan Triumphant through all the speakers in the house. And she's like, fuck, shut up, shut up, shut up. And she's hitting all the keys and she's like pre-90s hackering, like, dickity, 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 dick, trying to turn it off. 
And she eventually does. But while that's happening, we see him. He's like upstairs. He's checking himself out in the mirror. He's like, you know, yeah, I look good. No, this is a spot. And he's like, oh, I fucking blotch. And then we see him open this like lucite, like frosted glass container. And there's three like dummy head, like plexiglass dummy heads in there with like artificial faces on them. Not not like parts of faces or other people's faces. No. Like it's very, sci-fi. It's very dark, man. I have grown yeah. my own face again. Dude, it's awesome. Yeah. It's such a weird turn for the last 10 minutes yeah. of this movie. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, they're all clearly the same face. So it's not even that he's harvesting from right. people anymore. It's that he's figured something out to right. have a entirely his face face right yeah it's great yeah so then you know she finally gets it turned off and he we see him like come down the stairs behind her and like like run off screen to the side like where'd he go yeah and then she finally gets turned off and he's like oh you found that did you and she's like i'm sorry i uh mm, uh, mm, uh, uh he's immortal uh it's a classic universal monster movie this is where he says that i've waited so long for this and again yeah. not as well, good a line as frost the, oceans of time know. but yeah so he's like now you must choose love or music. The thing he, he only brings up in the end of the, like the climax of the film is that only love and music last forever. Um, which is the thing that kind of should have been through the whole movie, like to be a theme like that, to be yeah. important in the climax in this way, but whatever. Yeah. He goes, now you must choose Christine love or music. And she like leans in for a kiss and fucking rips his face off. Yeah. And his face is worse. It has gotten worse in the intervening yeah. hundred years. Yeah. He's, it's um, purple. Yeah. It's slimy. It looks like that sandwich that Homer Simpson won't throw away that gives him food poisoning. Mm-hmm. It does. It's soggy. It reminded me of a boy, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's somehow worse, I think, than the butthole yeah. mouth alien. Yeah. He a whole prune. Yeah, he looks terrible. Um, She picks up this weird, like, Cronenberg dead ringers, like, objet de art that he has. He's got, like, a... My issue with calling it objet de art... Is uh-huh. that it's not really laid out like something purely for aesthetic reasons. They're laid out like they're instruments or implements or something. Right. They may be his... It's like a series of like five or six like golden thingies. Tools. Yeah. Yeah. That's, they, they, this is why I say they remind me of Cronenberg Dead Ringers. Yeah. Like, it looks like the like OBGYN things that they have that are extremely like... Specialized Anatomical and weird. looking. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they picks... are that sort of like... She picks one up. Biological like a, nouveau art looking thing. Like, sure. But golden. Yeah. She picks one up that looks like a gold pointy pyramid and she stabs him in the torso with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you were going to stab somebody with a knife, but it's going to leave like a fucking square hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she steals his music. Both the sheet music and uh, the floppy the disk. The floppy disk. Right. And runs into the night. Uh, she gets out, finds a sewer grate, tears the sheet music up. And throws it in the sewer grate. And his, like, like, no. Yeah, you can hear it echoing through the streets. Yeah, yeah it's, like, laid over top. And then it fades out. We get a shot of him, like, laying potentially dead on the ground. Sorry, the cats are in the room now, so. You get a shot of him potentially dead on the ground. It fades out. It fades in. Some time has passed. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, she's, Christine is walking down the street. There's a violinist playing, like, it's something. But yeah, he's playing something, and she pays him, and then as she she's... tosses him a coin, and as he's walking past, uh, Itch, he he steps yeah. out and starts playing DJT. <laughs> yeah, and she like looks back, but kind of like, I knew this would happen. Yeah, like not like, I'm surprised. Right. But she looks at it like, yeah, because only love and music. Yeah, 
are eternal. Yeah. Game on, nerd. Yeah, and that's the end. Yeah. Of that one. Yeah. That's. Is there anything, like, that you wanted to talk about anywhere else that we didn't get to or didn't talk about? It also reminded me of, like, the Tim Burton Batmans, where At times, it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's very cold and larger than life. Especially, like, her uh, being at her father's grave. It's all, like, snowy. Yeah, that is very Tim Burton-y. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Like, the lighting. And, yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. see that. Yep. I thought that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I went through my notes, like, as we were, you know, talking and, like, mm-hmm. pretty thoroughly covered, I think, everything. Yeah, like I said, this doesn't entirely nail the vibe of the source material. No. But I don't think it's trying to. <laughs> no, it's trying to reinvent it yeah. for the era. Yes. And I mean, it is definitely skewing towards like, yeah, like some more like showpiece violence rather than it being about love and desire and yeah, all that. Yeah, so. it's reinterpreting that obsession into what would become 90s slashers. Like. Yes. But it was really it was what eighty the eighties thought ninety slashers would be. Yeah, because it didn't know that Scream was coming. Right. You know. Yeah. It didn't know that soon you would know you were in a movie. Right. You know that kind of thing. Like. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I understand what on one hand why it oh. wasn't a big hit, but I also it it did also remind me a little bit of the um the the Princess Bride in terms of like the framing of. Instead of, like, it being, like, you know, oh, I'm telling you a story. Because, like, this is um, the, the uh, uh, what's his face? The author. Of Gaston the... LaRue. Yeah, LaRue. Um, and, like, LaRue writes it as though he is a, like, academic looking back at older materials and interviewing people. Oh, like an epistolary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then this having that, like, time-traveling thing I think is similar to The Princess Bride instead of it being like, oh, I'm translating this story and the way it's transferred on screen is like a grandfather reading a story to his grandson and cutting out certain parts. Like, it's it's doing that similar thing of, like, translating that second-handness to a slightly different format that'll work better on screen. Okay. So... <laughs> In the Princess Bride, see, I I remember in, the Princess Bride. Yeah. In the Princess Bride, the That's story not my issue. Okay. Yeah. What? Like in the Princess Bride, the book. The book. Okay. Is that like? Oh, this was originally written in what is it? Guild Guildian. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. A fake a fake thing. Yeah, and so the the translator is specifically cutting out certain parts that they deem too boring to translate. So right. it's like, oh, and then there's like ten pages then describing the princess's hat, so right. we're not gonna talk about that. Right, right. It's it's And it's, so then in the film right. it's, it's being wry. Right. Right. And so then in the film it's like, Oh, we're gonna Peter skip over Falk. all the kissing yeah, parts because like, ah, you don't we're like not that. Gonna, right. We're yes. not gonna do that. We're gonna yeah. do something else. Yeah, and I think there's something You don't wanna hear about that. Yeah, and so there's something similar happening here where uh, the disconnect is the time shift rather than him, you know, going to different materials or to different interviews and talking about those things secondhand. Sure, I I feel like it still lacks the interpretation from another source thing that both those examples, epistolary novel and both versions of... Princess Bride have sure. Um, I just think it's a it's a neat little framing device. Mm-hmm. 
but I mean, like, I, I, well, at least I imagine that it was trying to capture some of that of, like, uh, a, a removal from, like, a first-person experience. Right. It, it, yes. It's not trying to feel exactly like, and this is, you know, this yeah. is happening now, yeah. like, wherever, where, where or whatever now right. is. Right. And then, I mean, it's also, it's, it's a window to get it into a modern-day setting. Right. It's a movie of backstory that also doesn't give away so much backstory that yeah. like it can't expand on it in future installments yeah. like literally it's, it's just like it's an era just... before we were really obsessed with the prequel yes too. prequels weren't a thing yet yeah like you know because all of Destler's backstory in this is just like playing piano and then the little devil guy comes up and is like let me make you an offer you can't refuse and that's kind of it like you can expand on that any number of ways that's very broad strokes yes you can add to it you can change it it's malleable like it's presented sure. in a dreamlike fugue way like right so there's a lot that can be done with that so yeah um yeah this just gets you set up so that like now 1989 you know all the backstory you need to to enjoy the story from now 1989 onwards like yeah so i don't know how much do we want to talk about sequels there I wrote an article. I talked about it earlier. You can get it in the magazine. Um, it's my, you know, pulling a dusty tome off the top shelf of a library. And it's, you know, and un unbinding its ribbon constraints and being like, oh, what's this? Like, that's for this franchise. So you can read it there and let me know what you think. Um, do you want to vote? Sure. Uh, well, I've been pretty open, but I, I will reiterate that. I, I think this is a great watch, like a legitimately great watch, not like just a watch, not a pretty good movie. Like, I think this is really great. It's really fun. And um, I think it captures so much the tone of that threshold between the 80s and the 90s in franchise horror, like specifically. It's not a one off. It's not made by outsiders. It's made by people within the franchise horror system. Yeah. You know, the, the director and the DP had just made the you know relaunch of michael myers you know mm -hmm. um the year before so like they were well prepared you know robert england obviously is a legend jill sholin is also like she's more of an outsider to franchise stuff but like had been a consistent player in horror for a number of years at that point like yeah I mean, it's a great watch i think it's, there's not a whole lot wrong with this movie yeah um i mean it depends on what your expectations are because I did like the story in the book better in terms of just flat out plot. I do appreciate this as a film and horror perspective of like both the time period that it was in and, and, and the work in and of itself. But if you're coming at it from like a musical theater background or something, this isn't going to be your favorite version because it just kind of lacks some of the, the, character nuance that you get in other tellings of yeah, this. Yeah, there's not enough singing. Well, I mean, like, Christine's a much stronger character in the novel and I think probably also in certain readings of the, the play. I, oh, yeah. And again, I mean, this is me speculating from not having seen the play, but, like, if it is hewing close to the novel, she's got a lot more going on for her than she does here. Yeah, she's not... She's a very passive yes. character in, in this. Yeah, she only gets powerful kind of at the end and the whole like you know 80s yeah, she, 90s girl power kind of not even not thing. even she goes from yeah. being neutral at best sure where she's like uh i hear a voice it's yeah just a ghost my dad sent because my dad's dead and he wants me to be a great opera singer to be
being kidnapped and being the victim, you know, damsel yeah. in distress, to getting half rescued by Richard and the inspector, to then being like, well, you killed Richard and the inspector, I think, and I'm going to shoot you, and then, you know, and then that's why she wakes up back in the present. Like, she goes from being at best passive to an actual, like, victim of kidnapping. Yeah. And then is, like, kind of activated as a character yeah. before the end of the movie happens. Yeah. In in the book, there's a lot more happening sure. with her as, no, far, the last, as far as being torn between... The last note of the film is very, like... Yeah. All right, like I said, it's yeah. her looking, being like, I was waiting for this. Yeah, it's like, a little game on. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like, you get the impression that, like, she's going to be more badass. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, I mean, like... You know, having having experienced a little bit more of like the the source material and stuff like that, like yeah, I could see it's not for everybody. But Allison if... read the whole story today in yeah. one day, just so she could turn her nose up at the film. Which yesterday she was like, "It's great, I love it, it's so good." Now she's like, "It sucks." Not it enough words. The book had way more words. It doesn't suck. But if you're coming at this with experience, it doesn't suck. But Allison, you cool us that you can put that on the poster. Yeah, it doesn't suck. But it doesn't suck. But. <laughs> yeah if you've experienced other Phantom of the Opera things I could see like this maybe not being entirely your cup of tea unless you hated him yeah unless you hated it yeah if you read other Phantom of the Opera yeah. you're like this is boring there's not enough stabbing yeah. right yes yeah 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 so this there's is not enough supernatural evil this is a departure but I, I find it very fun and then especially coming at it from like yeah like a, a horror film you know and 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 franchise horror you know right which is definitely what it's shooting for yeah 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 i think it's a really fun watch and i think it's got a lot going for it both you know aesthetically and then also like storytelling but in like a a strategic sort of like positioning things kind of way i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say (laughs) i liked it i liked it and i think that most people like it too in case you didn't and if you didn't, then, like, yeah, look at other Phantom of the Opera things. You'll probably like yeah, this better. Yeah, there's a lot. Because, yeah. Because we didn't even talk about, like, Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. Like, which is... Which I also... I fucking right. love, and I probably love it more. Yes. I, I, I like that more. It's more fun. Um, It speaks more to, it's like, sillier. my Rocky Horror sensibilities, yeah. which I've had for a lot longer. <laughs> it's sillier. It's yeah. glamier. It's more yeah. or unique and original. Yes. Like... Yeah. Um. This also isn't super musical. There's kind of just no. the one... Well, there's just the recurring thing. musical motif. Yeah. It's not a musical. Right. Where right. Phantom of the Paradise is a musical. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's. I mean, all of what you said is fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I once mean, again, I would skew it a great watch, though. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. As always, thanks for watching this finally with me. Uh, I had mentioned it to you a couple of times, but you were never around when I was rewatching it after the initial watch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for taking the time to watch it with me. Um, thanks for recording yeah. the episode with me. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't hate it. Uh, check out Hunter's Deep Dive on the Movie John. Fall 2022 yeah. zine. zine. Email us. I asked for uh, the Michelangelo of that particular weird group of people. Uh, I asked for that earlier. I might have asked for other things or whatever. If you have any questions or comments or whatever, you can email us at write, hate, watch, great watch. That's W R I T E H W G W at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at H W G W podcast on both those platforms. 
and get us every other Wednesday. That's every, every other, other Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, we should harmonize because it's a it's a musical. So you, what's your tone gonna be? Every other. You gonna do the high? Okay. Yeah. All right. You can get us every other Wednesday. That's every, every other Wednesday. Wednesday. On moviejohn.com. I don't think that was good. You wanna do it again? <laughs> I will. Tr- I mean, okay. Yes, every other Wednesday. That's every, every other Wednesday. Wednesday. I don't moviejohn.com. Know. I don't know if that was better. That might have been better. On moviejohn.com. <laughs> uh, please consider subscribing to the Movie John Patreon. That's patreon.com slash movie J-A-W-N. Movie John. And uh, as I said, you can get the fall 2022 zine and any other remaining zines from the movie john shop which is uh on movie john site under the shop banner thanks for listening i will talk to you soon bye bye So, hi everybody. You're probably gonna have to edit some stuff because I know we started this with uh, a lot of. Oh, you think I might have to edit the episode? I'm let you go. go That's ahead. unusual. I don't usually have to edit the episodes. Go ahead. Oh wait, I do all the time. Hello everyone. Normally, right here, there'd be some out of context stinger, some callback to a former joke that I didn't have room or inclination to keep in. Something like that. But no, no, now. If you've listened all the way to now, you get the real, the real deal dirt sheet shit. <laughs> so, this movie, Phantom of the Opera 1989, did not have any sequels. I know I said there were seven. There were none. The article I wrote, in which I outlined the seven sequels, was, in a word, kayfabe. Uh, I, I, I wrote this piece from the perspective of, like, this could easily be a franchise. You can't tell me it couldn't have been because, like, it, it just, I was trying to underline how easily this fit right into the milieu of 80s and 90s franchise horror, right? So that's what I wrote. And there's a disclaimer at the end of the article. I'm not trying to fool anybody, which is why we're doing this now. Um, yeah, this uh, film almost had a sequel, uh, which was, like, begun. It was going to be called Terror of Manhattan. Yes. Um, Phantom of the Opera 2, Terror of Manhattan. But when this bombed so badly, the script was reworked and became a, a film called Dance Macabre. Um, dance with a C. Yeah. Uh, and it took place at a dance studio. Yeah, kind of not unlike the Suspiria films uh, a little mm-hmm. bit, where there's a whole bunch of uh, shit. I, 1992, I believe. Yeah, a few years later. Yeah. Robert Englund is in it. Uh, I believe there's like a whole bunch of like multiple roles being played, like kind of thing. And I haven't seen it because it's kind of out of print. I believe Shout Factory, Scream Factory might have done a Blu-ray of it like a while ago, but that was before I'd heard of it. So it's out of print now. It's hard to find. Uh, so I, I, I don't own a copy as of yet. If you would like to mail me a copy, uh, I can drop in the P.O. box right now. But uh, Send it to Movie John, attention HWGW. P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145. But, um, 
so yeah it's like a dance studio thing so music adjacent um i don't know you know because we there's no way for me to know i'm not not privy to this stuff but don't know if the original sequel would have been dance based rather than music based it's hard to say but in interesting stuff um yeah i don't know that's kind of all i wanted to say we, i just wanted to peel back the 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 curtain for a second and let you all know like yeah there were there were no sequels i know i said there were that was, as we say in the industry of work, uh, we're not trying to fool anybody. Um, we're just having some fun this Halloween spooky season. Mm -hmm. um, get the movie John Zine. Um, and if you hate my article, that's fine. There's a whole bunch of other ones. I'm sure you'll like one of those. Trick or treat. And uh, yeah, see you when we see you. Goodbye for real. Bye. Bye. This has been a Movie John podcast. Crystal was watching it, and I watched it separate. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Please cut all that out. So. Nope. Leaving it in. The, it's the stinger. The lab. Hunter, this was the stinger. No, the stinger. Hunter, this was the stinger. The stinger was the part the we talked oh, about. Oh, dude. What if the stinger had a stinger? <gasps> Dupe rip. Oh, my God.